Welcome to the Jonathan Shuttlesworth podcast. To stay connected, go to revivaltoday.com. And now, here is Evangelist Jonathan. Father, I thank you for this second day that we have together. I thank you for everybody that's watching online, all the ministers from all over the world, people called into ministry all over the world. I pray, Lord, that today would be a day of great help to them. In Jesus' name, we thank you for all these things and give you praise. All God's people said amen. Amen. Give the Lord another great hand clap. You can be seated. I want you, if you have your Bibles, open them where we started yesterday, 2 Timothy chapter 2, because that's instruction for young ministers, or, or to a young minister from a seasoned minister. While you're turning there, remember that wisdom comes from the Word of God. Wisdom doesn't come with age. There's what's called old fools. There's people that are old and don't know anything. You know, I walked out to preach one day from the hotel. I was in my 30s, early 30s. And I was walking to church, and a guy in his early 60s was walking past me into the hotel with two cases of Bud Light. So if wisdom came with age, he'd be walking out of the hotel with the Bible, and I'd be walking in with a beer. So the Bible will make you young or will make you wise beyond your, your years. That's why Jesus taught in the temple at 12 years old. So you also shouldn't have a view of yourself that, well, I'm young and, you know, I don't know much. Now, be humble. But what I'm saying is you shouldn't make an allowance like you're just going to be a moron until till you're 35. You can start to excel, and I'm sure many of you are already excelling at 18, 19, and go past people. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Bible says in verse 15, work hard. Say that with me, work hard. So you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who rightly divides the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer, as in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus. They have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. That's a a very interesting scripture to me, because you can tell uh, as you get older that some ministers are are wood and clay ministers, and they're they're not going to do much. And they love God, and they pray. I'm not talking they live in sin, but they're just, they're not, they're, they're common. Then the Bible says there's another class that's gold and silver. So one of the reasons we have an age limit on this on this Bible school is for that reason, because we don't want people to feel bad, you know, that they're just getting started and they're, they're whatever age. We're talking to young people. This is your decision, whether you have a ministry where when you die, they sum up your life up in a column this big in the local paper and that you were a very nice person and everyone who met you liked you, or whether people study you a hundred years after you're, you're dead about what you did and how you were able to to turn uh, Southern California from a sinful place to now the place that has the most Christians in the United States. You should think like that. Where God sends you, you know, you, you study these old missionaries that went to, and I don't even mean like 1800s and stuff, though they would be included. But, you, you know, St. Patrick of Ireland goes to Ireland. There's no Christians. Not, then he's done. It's all Christian. 
And uh, guys did Nigeria had no Christians. Bensonita, some missionaries came there from the Assemblies of God. Bensonita Hosa got, got saved. And 9,600 churches started under his ministry in 20 or 30 years. That Have that mentality leaving Bible school. That's why when I, some, some of you that I've, I encourage, very, very few of you, but when word got back, so-and-so is going to take a semester off. I at least message you. Think about what you're doing. I need to pay my bills. You, you, you have to have a mind that thinks for impact in life. And the thing I talked about uh, yesterday, don't lose momentum. If you leave, your, you, you leave uh, your church to come here to Bible school and you come back before you finished, you know, I just I needed to take some time and just get some things sorted. I was running behind it. Your momentum's gone, and then you're sending signals to people that you're not a trustworthy person. You say one thing, and you do another. If, I could, if you could get one thing out of today, if you, or, or this three days we have together, if you'll learn that when you say you're going to do something, like our Father God, you do it. There's, there's no go back. There's no, there's no chance that Adonis and I are going to get up one Sunday and be like, you know, we didn't realize what all pastoring entailed, plus having an evangelistic ministry, and we have a 10-year-old, so life's just getting hectic. We're going to scale back a little. No, there's none of that. You go full speed ahead in your assignment and never turn back. Go full speed ahead. If you tell people you're going to do something, you do it. That's why when I... Uh, um, where was it? Where I was? Oh yeah, uh, Newark, New Jersey. When the when the cops came and they put signs out that they were shutting my crusade down, I got up on the stage and told everybody it's not shutting down and I'm not. Le-. You know, I'd rather get arrested than go backwards. And you look at Dr. Rodney Howard Brown. Everybody that refused to get arrested as a pastor during the COVID lockdowns so that they wouldn't lose their ministry lost their ministry or at least took giant steps backward. And then in going forward, and said, "No, you can arrest me, but there's no chance." that I'm not having church on Sunday. You're not going to do it. Now he's tripled. He's the largest church hands down in Tampa, uh, past all the people that that criticized him and said he was making a mistake. They had to ask him for legal help to get their churches back open. Go for Say go forward. Go forward. Don't ever take a backward step. You will never hear about me taking a sabbatical. Yeah. You know, I need eight months to just... No, there's none of that. You go and go and go until you go up to heaven and collect your reward. There's no second opinion on that. That's what a minister does. If you break that or, you know, dip out for a little bit. I was in, um, uh, where, where I vacation in Arizona. There was a minister that I preached with at a conference who in the 90s was one of the most famous ministers in the United States. So we had just preached together a few months before. And then I'm in the shoe section at Nordstrom, and he's walking there. And I said, hey, I, did, I, I thought you lived in uh, such and such a state. He said, well, we our church is there, but my wife and I like to come to Arizona about two weeks a month, and then we've just been having our son pastor. I thought, yeah, I'd like that too, to just go to Arizona t- two weeks a month. Well, and when, I, when, I, when I heard it, I thought, you know, he's not 80. He's not 70. He's like 58, 60 maybe. That's not time to to do that. So you find out two years later, his son has a problem. His son had run the church down from a, it was a church of thousands of people. You know, probably like what we had last su- Sunday at Revival Today, this church was probably triple that, down to 200, 300 people or less. Because his son, then it comes out his son had a moral failing and he has to go back at 60 and try to 
rebuild it. But if he would have just stayed going forward, none of that would have happened. So don't get in vacation mode. Take vacations. Take, get it all out of your system. I do, I do it every year. But, and I do that so that I don't have a blend between vacation and working. And maybe, uh, maybe it's good to deal with that. Because some people brag that they don't, I've never taken a vacation. But then in not taking a vacation, they've basically blended vacation and life because you need a rest. So I'll go away to Arizona for two weeks. I don't do anything, any, anything but chill. And uh, I don't tell anybody, I, I don't witness. If somebody says, man, I, I really need Jesus, man, I hope you find somebody to help you. Uh, no, I don't. I, I, we've actually had people from the hotel come, come hear me preach out in Arizona because we do that. But I'm just saying, I don't, I just relax with Camila and Adalis and, and, and do nothing but relax and have a good time with them. And then when I come back, uh, 21 days, I think the last one we, vacation we took, we came straight back and did the 21 days of meetings in Dallas. So I, I don't blend them. And then during the day, I was in my house and didn't leave till it was time to go preach that night. I wasn't out sh- gallivanting around town and enjoying the Dallas sights. Don't do that. If you're an evangelist, if you want to take a vacation, take a vacation. But when you go to a place, go to preach because you're going to have to fight this stuff. We'd love to have you come. Um, you know, it's like a Dallas. I'll be like a, a, I'm not me in this scenario. I'm like a normal pastor and, and a Dallas is a, a, a guy. Okay. Hey, I saw you got a deer yesterday. We'd love to have you come preach for us in upstate New York. I got a guy in the church that's got a ranch and it's loaded with white-tailed deer. So you can come up and preach uh, Sunday and then we'll go hunt Monday. Don't do that. Don't blend that. Don't make preaching an excuse to have tax-free travel. Make ministry ministry. If you want to go hunt deer, hunt deer. If you want to go salmon fishing and go to Alaskan salmon fish, go to Alaskan salmon fish. Don't schedule meetings so you can check things off your bucket list or whatever because you can spot those kind of preachers that are shopping during the day and hunting all day and then come at night to preach so that they can write it off as a ministry expense instead of a personal expense. Be straight ahead about about the ministry and and don't blend it with vacation. There's an old saying, instead of planning a vacation, build a life that you don't want to take a break from. And I, I would tell you that too. Make your church a place you enjoy being. Make your staff as the Lord blesses your ministry and you have staff and, and people come along to help you. Hire people that you're excited to see during the day. Not that you dread to go into the office because you hired so, some lifeless old woman that, that has no joy or so, some depressed guy. I, I told a pastor, the guy's not a bad guy, but his head assistant pastor, he's just, he like walks around like this. He's probably 61 or 62. I said to him back, I said, why do you keep him around? I said, if he was my associate pastor, I'd probably hang myself. <laughs> he has no joy. You know, Jay knows what I mean. And you know, this pastor's an older man. I said, you don't need guys like that around. You need like a young guy around that, that, that'll, that'll energize you. He said, well, he's good at visitation. And No, but you're right, he said. Yeah, you do. You need to keep. See, one of the things is everybody has swings. You, you, you have times that you feel excited and you have times you don't feel like getting out of bed. So if you surround yourself with excited people, everybody on our staff, uh, with the exception of Pastor Dean and Denise, are younger than me and I'm fairly young. I, I, I don't have 
And, and Pastor Dean and Denise are, are, are young people that are not young in age. But, but they're, not, they're not like, they're happy, energetic. Pastor Dean preaches harder than I do. So, so they're, they're not like energy vacuums. I, I mean, I'm telling you, if I could give you so, some advice for life, which is what I'm doing the, these three days, marry an exciting person. Not somebody that, that you're excited because I'm talking somebody that's fun to be around. I told you I almost hired that valet at the hotel. I don't, I'm sure he's not a Christian. I can, I can get him to be a Christian. But I can't make a Christian have, have excitement and joy. Because when I saw that guy with that kind of work ethic and happy and likes joking around, you know, and he's not saved. So imagine how much more joyful he'd be getting saved. But then you meet somebody, they know Jesus. Their sins are all forgiven. They have the Holy Ghost. I can't help you. If the Holy Ghost couldn't help you, what am I supposed to do? So I would, I would surround in your personal life. You know, Camila, Adalis won't let Camila be sad. She's, that's why she's like she is. She's always up and, and bouncing because we don't tolerate that in our house. I mean, like you said, there's no chance when she becomes a teenager. I'm going to let her. I watch these people's teenagers. Earbuds in. You, you need to snap that kid out of it. They're on a dark trail. <laughs> then the whole house is dead quiet. That's not Christianity. That's not a Christian house. That's what people think. We're saved now, so no one has any life. Christianity is, is to, supposed to add excitement in life. So the Bible says, He that walks with the wise will become wise himself, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Who you walk with in life determines who you become, what you have, what accompanies you. There's people I could hang out with the rest of this year that I'd end up in jail, even if I didn't do anything wrong. Where, where we're hanging out would get raided by the police. So you hang around that type of people, different things accompany you. And then you hang around. What was I doing last week? I was hanging around, Dr. Rodney Howard Brown, in, in his meetings, hanging around there. I picked things up. I was thinking how different, I've been coming there for nine years. I started coming there in 2014. I was thinking how different my life is now from nine years ago, where it was a big deal uh, to fly down there on a coach ticket. And then it was a big deal to put $1,000 in the offering. You know, it's a different world now. Because I hung around people who are not ashamed of prosperity, people that believe in growth, people that are happy, People that understand that a minister is not supposed to be a parrot for the Centers for Disease Control and uh, the World Economic Forum, that you're actually, there's things you're supposed to stand against. It changed my life. So keep people around you because, especially if you're a pastor, pastor, when you're a pastor, you're going to have to fight being isolated because, you know, you go pastor in Evansville, Indiana. I'm just p picking towns or Chillicothe, Ohio. And the other pastors that are there hate you. That's how it's going to be. Wherever you go, pastor, the other pastors don't like you being there. So uh, while I'm flowing, let's just get everything out. And that's not me speaking from personal hurt. I haven't talked to any pastors. Or, you know, I'm, I'm here to speak, and then I leave. So I've avoided that. But your average pastor, when you go somewhere, all the local pastors are upset that you're there. 
It doesn't matter whether you're starting a church or whether you take a church. Uh, when you go there, they're threatened about you being there, and they're going to offer to take you out to eat and try to discourage you. Hey, well, you're into the area. Why don't we get some dinner? If I were you, I would just turn it down off the bet because they're just going to tell you, you know, just so you know here, I know you're from uh, Revival today, but there's nothing like that here, and the people here don't really go for that kind of ministry as if they're an expert on the town. Then half the stuff they tell you, sometimes 100% of what they tell you, they have no clue what they're talking about. I don't even mean from the Bible. For example, when I went to go preach in northern, uh, northern Uganda at a Sudanese refugee camp, it was all teenagers. And they said, um, these teenagers feel, for the ministers, these teenagers feel forgotten. Like the whole world has forgotten them they, because their parents were killed, you know, by Muslim jihadists in Sudan and they fled to this refugee camp. So if I had to listen to them, I'd have thought there's a bunch of depressed teenagers that feel like the world's forgotten about them. And I would have preached the message about how you're not forgotten. Well, I read a, I read a study. I looked it up on the internet about a study that they did among those youth and that they, they actually rate on the happiness score that they do in surveys like extremely high. Like Americans at rate in the 20s on a scale 1 to 100, your average American, how happy they are, they were like 86 because they didn't feel that way. The average, when they would interview them, they, they felt, you know, everyone died except me. I'm the luckiest person there is. And then me and my sister got out. Now the United Nations has given us a house uh, uh, and a garden to plant. I made it. That's how they felt, like excited. So people project their own depression like... You know, just so you know, when you come here to speak in Chicago, Chicago is a very violent place. Yeah, parts of Chicago are violent. Parts of it have the best restaurants in the Western Hemisphere and have millionaires and billionaires. People that, are, that have that anti-faith thing, they will get you to see, you know, there's, there's no money in this city. They'll be in like Manhattan. There's no money here. You know, everybody moved to Florida during COVID. They'll talk like that. I'm telling you. There's no money uh, in Manhattan. You know, almost everybody's moved to Florida during the lockdown. No, everyone didn't move to Florida. You're in one of the largest cities in the world that, ha that has some of the most wealth in the entire world concentrated in one place. But when people have unbelief and they don't grow, they start seeing a warped reality where, where you know, to, to your average pastor, everybody's poor. To your average evangelist, everyone's poor. That Because they're poor. So they feel bad taking an offering because they think, man, no one has any money. And I'm, I'm asking for them to give the little bit that they have left. And that's why they apologize during the whole offering. You know, I'm sorry, I even have to do this. They don't understand there's some lady in the crowd getting her kitchen remodeled for the third time just so she has something to talk about at a dinner party. We didn't like the backsplash from the last place. So I saw this type of marble when we were on vacation at um, the Secrets in Jamaica. And, you know, those kind of people where, where they, they have money. Then there's people that have large amounts of money that are looking for a place to give it. Never forget that. The offering is not an imposition. First of all, no one has to give anything. No one's holding a firearm at anybody's head. You are. And number two, God ordained offerings. They're not something you made up to help fund your ministry. Let each man give as he's directed by the Spirit, not reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a cheerful giver. Offerings are holy unto the Lord, the Bible says. The Bible says, let no man appear before the Lord without an offering. That means no one's ever to come and receive from God's word and worship him and not have something in their hand. 
When I went to go pray at the church I attended before the Lord spoke to us to start this church, they gave me a key to the sanctuary so I could go in and pray. When I'd be done praying, I'd lay money on the altar. Catholics do that too, and they do it in other churches. That, I don't need somebody to beat one out of me or cheerlead one out of me or get me to shout breakthrough and then finally I'll, I'll give. I have a giving personal relationship with God. And then I've seen what it's done for, for me in my life. So maybe that's why I don't apologize. I'm not doing something that's going to hurt people. I'm giving people an opportunity to follow a trail that Adonis and I got on that takes you from very low. That, that testimony Kofi gave, Pastor Kofi gave yesterday. You know, where is he now? You start off in a house where people are using a bucket as a toilet. And, and everybody's staying in one room, no bathroom. And then now you, you, you're buying cars for other people and paying for people to go th- through college and running food to orphans and widows. What do you got for a watch now? An Omega watch. What did you have before that? What happened to that one? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Good move. You know, luck, yeah, had a, bright, had a luxury watch and gave it away. Has a new luxury watch. That, you know, that's, that's tithing and giving. That's what it does. It turns you, the blessing of the Lord makes a man rich, not brings rich. Now, remember this too. The, in the ministry, God's covenant is not to bring rich people around you. God's covenant is to make you rich. You should see yourself that way. I don't need God to send rich people my way. I am blessed, and the blessing makes me rich. I'm telling you, by the blessing of God, not an arrogant statement, though it's going to sound extremely arrogant. If everyone stopped giving in our entire ministry and church, nothing we're doing would stop. I would would push it forward with my own faith because the giving is people's opportunity to get involved in the work of the Lord. People say, wouldn't it be great if one person just wrote the check? No, not No, actually, it would be better if people took the opportunity to establish a kingdom project and see God break their family from where they are now into a realm financially they never knew about. The call to ministry is not a call to poverty. Let me just tell you the opposite of like everything I heard when I was in Bible school. It, and it doesn't even have to be hard when you're young. There's no scriptures like that in the Bible. When you're young, life's hard. And then as you get, no, it takes God no time. To, to pull, I mean, Jesus had a traveling crew at 30 years old. So that's all bull crap. And if you check back up on the people that say it's hard when you're young, they're still having it hard when they're old, and nothing changes. Because nothing changes till your mentality and your spirit change. If you have a mentality that I'm just starting out, and so I'm a, I'm a poor college student, you'll go from being poor college student to poor uh, newly married person, to poor because you just had your first child and they're expensive, to poor because you're a young pastor, to poor because now you have teenagers and they've got, they need clothes for school and there's a lot of, then poor because you got to put them in college, then poor because you're 55 and you're on a fixed income. You will be poor from now till when you die and you'll never help anybody. But the second you flip it, to I am blessed. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed when I come in. I'm blessed when I go out. God has blessed me. Blessed at 17. Blessed at 18. I've told you the story. When I was in Bible college and went to that call center to work, and the, and the, the head of the company liked me and then gave me time off to preach and then would pay me whatever the highest commission salesman made during the week I was gone. He would give me the same bonus he gave that guy for no reason. That, that's the blessing of God. I wasn't taking an offering or anything. 
didn't have a newsletter. I'm just blessed. You could drop me. I was going to say in Russia, I have an invitation to preach in Moscow right now. I'll, I'll be blessed in, in Moscow. When I go there, there's no place you could put me unless I, I put myself out of the will of God. There's no place I could go that God would send me that I wouldn't be blessed. If you had me start a church in the West Bank in Gaza right now during the war, I would have a beautiful church with lots of people in there. Because the blessing supersedes all outlying factors. The blessing supersedes all outlying factors. Doesn't matter what town God calls you to. The only thing that can wreck the blessing is you deciding to live in sin or operate outside of the covenant. Well, we've had to put a pause on our tithing right now because there's a lot of stuff coming up. Okay, let me know how that works out for you. You're the only one that can mess it up. And that is a very freeing thing in life because the devil's a non-issue for me. I'll cast him out. I'll cast out devils. But the devil can't mess up or delay or anything I'm doing. I'm not under his dominion. We're not in a war together. The devil is under my feet, stripped of all his power. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver. And some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, that means don't sin sexually, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. You'll be clean. You'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living. Everybody say pursue. Pursue. Yeah. Don't just hope it happens. Pursue righteous living. Faithfulness, love, peace, and enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach. And we're going to talk about that probably the whole day tomorrow. The ability to teach. The ability to handle the Word of God. It's the most important skill, hands down, that you can have as a minister. Because if all the power goes out, and I don't have any electricity, I don't have a microphone, and I don't have music. You could, I know how to open this Bible and, and have, a, have a revival just off the Bible. And so if you can do that, you, you can, like I saw Matt Antis, you know, speaking at his, his old college, and then some of you go in different places. If you, can learn, if you can learn how to take a text and just explode it anywhere to unsave people, then you, you just, you have a ministry that people can't take from you and can't shut down. If it's built on the Bible, if you need skits and drama and fog machines and you have to, I, I love having Tony play the organ behind me when I, when I preach, but if, if there, what do you do? So there's some ministers, they're, they're an EMP attack away from not having a ministry anymore. If they don't have screens and plays and skits and the platform made up to a different theme every week to illustrate the message, they, they actually can't preach and teach. So if you'll develop that, when, when is homiletics class? Next semester or this semester? Next semester. I'll do everything in my power to, to pop in on that and, and help because, um, and I'm going to deal with it tomorrow. Let me, just in case I don't get to it, let's, let's go through a little, some preaching tips right now. Number one, since it says be able to teach, what do you do when you first get the microphone? You should think about it. Because I'd say that's where most people just go dead in the water right from the start. When they introduce them, 
They have nothing to say. Plus, you're nervous, especially when you're first starting out. So there's no thought given to opening remarks. If I were to pop up small churches, which I don't want to, you know, I, I really wanted to do it, but I didn't want to embarrass people think I'm picking on them. But I was going to just go on Facebook Live and pick some Sundays, just random Sundays of small churches. What happens when, when they get the mic? Um, Ziff, come here real quick. You be the pastor. Give me like a very boring standard introduction that I'm, I'm coming to, to speak today, and then I'll be, I'll be one of you guys. And now we're going to have young minister Jonathan Shuttlesworth give a word. Um, praise the Lord. Uh, as he said, my name is young minister Jonathan. And so, so it's already at that, uh, like this, this tone. Uh, most churches stay at that tone the whole service. Uh, and the thing is, you don't think you're doing it. You need, every time you speak, you need to listen to yourself speak. Have somebody record it and force yourself to be tortured <laughs> to, to listening to the whole thing on the way home. I, I used to record my, when I was a youth pastor in Boston, I would record on audio cassette the uh, message, and I'd listen to it on the way home. And I'm telling you, I'd f leave the service thinking like, I crushed it. That was a great service. People got saved and everything. Then I'd pop in and listen like, oh my God, this is awful. I don't know how many on Interstate 95 near Boston preaching cassettes got chucked out the window. I'm talking angrily thrown out the window. But what I realized was I thought I was being interesting. But if you speak conversationally and don't project your voice, you're, you're boring. So there, I would say that's the first mistake people made. Ze uh, Brother Zeph, help me out again. Give me another boring introduction. So that's the first one people... People drop to the level of the boring church they're in or boring situation. You know, it's like Adonis got invited to speak at a middle school or elementary school. Um, oh, speak. Must have been an ordinance. Come up with me, my friend. Please welcome Champion Hunter, Pastor Adonis. Hi. So, stay up with me. If, if you would get her a seat and everything like yesterday. Just, just, okay. No, no, no. Too low. Get a chair. So anyway, um, the first mistake people make is dropping to the level. So like, like I was saying, if you get invited to speak at an elementary school, obviously they're not going to have Michael Buffer introducing you. It's, it's, it's some, you know, some school teacher, we, kids, we have a guest, or whatever. Don't make the mistake of dropping to the level of whatever the event is. Because basically, you're always going to have people try to talk you out of being on fire. Now listen, I know you go to RTBI, but this is just like a men's breakfast. We're just, we just do like a short devotional. And then, um, so you know, just, they're always trying to, to like put the reins on you. So just nod your head and do your thing. Don't drop to their level of speaking. And if you've watched me, which I'm sure you have, which is why you go to the Bible school here, I don't. You, you can have whatever boring front part of the service you want. When you turn it to me, well, give Jesus a great hand clap, everybody, you know, and, and, and take it up. And I'm happy. You all can be sad. You could talk about 9-11 for 15 minutes. We're going to have joy when I get the microphone. Don't drop to their level. So then one, one problem, main road, two ditches. The one ditch is to be boring. Then the other ditch is this. 
Well, and that's the weekly announcements. Let's uh, have Brother Shuttlesworth come up here, give a word. <laughs> come on! I thought this was a Pentecostal church. Somebody shout hallelujah! <laughs> and people are holding their kids going, who is this meth addict that they let, that they let in the church? So, since we're dealing with preaching now, and I'm going I'm to have you, can the Doss have a, since, since we're dealing with preaching now, let's, let's deal with it. Write this in your notes. Any tone is monotone. Any tone is monotone if it's the only tone. Any tone is monotone if it's the only tone. This is monotone. So what, why is it important not to be monotone? You blend in and, and people quit paying attention to you. There has to be voice inflection. It's the only time theologically I believe in mountains and valleys <laughs> is in tone of, of preaching. If it's all this. And so, um, as, so anyway, as we were coming here, I just... I felt the Lord speak to me that, that um, you know, many of us are struggling with things that that's monotone if you stay at that tone. And this is monotone if you stay at this tone. And the Bible says in John 3, 16, and you go that, like that the whole time. People tune you out just like they'll tune the other thing out because the way the brain and ears work is if something's at the same level, you dip out. So you have, in, you have mountains and valleys. You have a speaking tone like this. Then you watch me, and for, then for some reason, I usually end up on top of a chair when I'm doing the, the mountain. But th then when you punch it, punch it. Then go back. You don't, you don't have to go hard for an hour and 20 minutes. It's pointless. Speak. But then even in your speaking, like you hear me right now, I'm not talking. There's this tone of voice. Then there's projected voice. When you're speaking to people, you project your voice. And that's what you're going to notice when you listen to yourself on, on recording. You don't let Brian, I'm going to use tapes. But uh, if you... If you listen to yourself, you're going to realize you don't project your voice. You think you are, but you, you talk like this. And even when you think, so then if you, if you don't leave this tone of voice, and you talk like this, it, it, it just, there's no, it, it stays at a low level. So even in time, like right now, I'm not exerting myself, but I'm not speaking like this, which I think maybe from preaching, I kind of speak like this all, all the time now. So, uh, so, so anyway, um, you, you, you keep, you speak in a projected voice. Now, here's some things, here's some hurdles to overcome. And I'd like you to, to jump in when you want on, on preaching. I'll, I'll give you some space in a couple of minutes. Um, what are write this down. I'm not interesting. So that's something you're gonna have to work on. You're a very boring person. You have a boring way of telling stories. Um, Pastor Jay, come up and get Pastor Jay a seat too, so he can sit. I'd like him to pipe in. No, we have more than one mic. We have a we have a big ministry actually. We have three mics. <laughs> because there's ways people tell a story. It's like, and you know, Jay was Pastor Jay was on the road with me for a long time. Sit it, on the bench. No, no, sit on the bench. I'd like it to look like somewhat professional up here. Do we have two stools or two seats? Would be good. So, thanks. What was I saying before before the seat debacle? Oh yeah, Look, yeah. Like when you 
when you share a testimony, I'm not talking about being a hype man or hyping it up. But if you share a story about somebody being healed of cancer, you should not. So anyway, and then, um, have you ever heard somebody tell a story of somebody getting prayed for to be healed and the way they ended the story, you don't even know whether they got healed or not? It's like, so Mary, it turned out she had cancer and um, we prayed for her. And so she's in, she, she's going to be back in church tomorrow. It's like with or without cancer. And then you find out they were healed, but they, they just tell s- stories in a disinterest. There's some people, if they were in charge of writing the Bible, it would have been the same stories, but no one would ever buy this book because it's not like you look how John wrote it in the gospels of John. This man, Jesus, there was never a man like him. If, if they wrote down everything he did, the whole world couldn't contain the volumes of what the man did. Have an, number one, learn how to be interesting. Learn interesting ways of conveying what you tell. There's things I, I've said that I think are funny that the crowd doesn't laugh, so I quit saying them. And there's other things I don't really think are that funny, but the crowd, people think it's funny. So, so study that. What do people react to? I'm not talking about changing the gospel to what people are. I'm talking about the way you talk and communicate. What, what, what do people receive? What do they not receive? How do they receive best? Tell a story where it ends on an up. Lady had 39 tumors and, and was carrying 40 gallons of water. And, you know, you could tell the, okay, here's the same story two ways. This woman um, that we met in New Mexico, she was carrying 40 pounds of water in her body from sickness, and then she had 39 tumors, and praise the Lord, um, when we prayed for her, they did tests, and all the tumors are gone, so praise God. It's like, all right, but there's a better, like, T.L. Osborne said, the gospel is not just good news, it should be preached like it's breaking news. So you tell the stories, and I'm not faking it. It's not a fake way, I like the word my wife used, delivery. It's not a fake delivery. I like that that lady that was going to die and her husband was nominally in church, and now they're plugged in. I, I like, I love miracles. I, they're exciting to me. So say, this woman had 40 pounds of water in her body and 39 t- tumors, and got prayed for. Every tumor was healed by the power of Jesus Christ. Now you start talking, talk like that. So don't. And I think what happens is people are so unsure about whether what they're going to say is going to hit or not that they won't commit to it. So it's like, okay, so then that way, if you guys don't like that testimony, I can just keep rolling. Punch, punch, punch your, your points. The main point you're going to hit, punch it. Punch your jokes. You don't have to say I'm just kidding when you're joking. <laughs> we were having engine trouble with our car this week, so my wife and I walked here. Just kidding. Every pastor, just, get, just kidding. Just let the joke sit. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just, just let it. Let people laugh, and don't, don't be nervous. If you're funny, if you're not funny, don't tell jokes. But I, I would definitely. So, what was the first point? You're not interesting. Num, uh, point number two: No one likes you. Write it down. Nobody likes you. This will help you be a good preacher. I'm telling you the truth. You think you go to church, you'd think you're 23 years old, following the call of God on your life. They're all Christians. They love Jesus. They're going to be give you the benefit of the doubt. You're going to get the mic and turn and face the crowd and see a sea of people that hate your guts. If you're a woman, you're going to see the other women in the crowd looking at your outfit. 
Why is she preaching? Why is he telling me, what's he, 23, this kid's going to tell me about life? I'm telling you, that's how it is. Nobody likes you. If you go to black churches, black people don't like you. If you go to white churches, white people don't like you. If you go to Spanish churches, Spanish churches don't like you. Nobody likes you. <laughs> Double underline it. It has nothing to do with race. No one likes you. <laughs> Why am I telling you this? Because I'm in a bad mood? No. Why am I telling you this? Because the mistake people make when they preach is they believe that the crowd is, has already received them, and you have to break that part. You have to get the crowd to like you True. before they receive you. If you want to watch a master do it, watch my father. My dad starts telling long, detailed stories, extremely long, extremely detailed stories about things that have nothing to do with the service that somehow get people to really like him. My dad, my dad will come out of a hot praise and worship service and they give him the mic. Like, Our golden retriever <laughs> passed away three weeks ago. And the whole crowd will groan. I go, and so we just got a new puppy named Biscuit. Biscuit is, is very wild. He's been running my wife, Judy, around in the woods. And when I was like 17 and 23 and 41 and up until yesterday, <laughs> I used to think to myself, what the heck are you doing? And then I realized... By the time he'd be done telling that story, everybody loved my dad and his dog they never met. And he, I don't know that he's even doing that for that reason. It might just be a way the anointing works with him. That when my dad's done giving his little speech at the beginning about his life and how far he drove yesterday and a tree that how beautiful the trees were changing colors on Interstate 80, stuff that I I would never I am the most to-the-point speaker. <laughs> I think that's why that angel the Lord sent to call me to the ministry just like went right to it. I don't know, no hello, nothing. So my dad's the exact opposite. But then when he's done, everybody loves him. And then, when he, then, then he sings a song. What does the music do? I'm going to sing a song. It's called The Old Man is Dead. And it's about uh, a guy that lived in sin and was an alcoholic and gave his life to the Lord. When he's done... By the time my dad's done, he could give an altar call for people that want to help him start an ice cream shop. And there'd be a good amount of people that would come for it. Because, and that's, um, are they using that book, Messengers, right now? Yeah. See, these, these books, and remember, every textbook you have, I selected, and every class I picked. So if you, you think, well, no, what does this have to do with anything? That book, Messengers, is about how people are buying you. And that's true in preaching. People like Joel Osteen on TV, and then decide to get involved in his Christian thing. Okay, so he's a Christian too? Just like people like Joe Rogan and decide to experiment with psychedelics. Because whatever that you are, I want to do what you do. You work out every day? I'm going to start working out every day. You only eat meat and you don't eat any carbs? Okay. And you do testosterone replacement therapy? I'm going to do that too. I'm going to do what you do. People, if you're never... You, who have you ever heard say, I hated that preacher's guts, but he made a lot of great points about Christianity, so I got saved? No. No one responds to somebody they hate. So there, there is an element where you, you have to be received. And that's going to happen within the first handful of minutes. So when you get the mic, people are gonna, either going to make up their mind, who is this clown 
I'm going on Yelp and finding a place to go eat after service, and I'm going to scroll around on my phone till they're done. Or, I like this guy. And so I do it. I told you how my dad does it. I do it with videos a lot when I first get to a meeting. Well, praise the Lord, everybody give Jesus a big hand. First of all, I'm up and happy. Secondly, I want to play for you something that happened this week at our church. There was a lady who had leukemia for 13 years. And then, okay, so then your average person has never whiffed a miracle in their life. Whoa, are you serious? And they either are sick themselves or know somebody in their family that's sick. Now they're interested. Oh, this when this guy comes, people have like actual things changed in their life. And this lady that from Sturgis that couldn't eat a cheeseburger, I believe that lady's not lying. This, so this is real. And it's totally different. But if you skip that step, you're going to be... That's why if you watch, and if I, again, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if, if you pulled clips, there's no connection with the minister and the people. If we were to go scroll through Facebook Live from last Sunday... There's no connection because they never crossed that bridge. They just, they just got up. Today I'm going to speak on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. No one cares. No one cares about you. No one cares about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, even charismatic Christians. I made that mistake starting out. I got invited to a, a word of faith a youth and young adults group. I'm like, oh, finally. I'm not going to be preaching in some dead denominational church. I'm in Kenneth Hagin's group. I'm going to preach on the gifts of the Spirit. I got up and announced it to those teenagers, and you, I might as well have stood up and said, today I'm going to deal with the origins of Lebanese history. No one, it was like, whatever. There was almost like a hatred. You have to win people over in the beginning of your message. You don't win people over by making them feel sorry for you. You have problems. People also have problems. They don't need more problems. They need lifted out of their problems. So you don't get up. Sorry if I seem tired. We had two flights canceled. Let, leave all that. Let everything that you say be edifying and uplifting and encouraging. If you just <laughs> had to dodge Hamas on your way into the building and they were taking swings at you with a machete, don't mention it. How many of you are happy to be in the house of the Lord today? When have you ever heard me mention when I get the mic that I flew in here and my plane was canceled? My, my jet had uh, mechanical problems, and so we didn't get in till 6.50 in the morning for the 10 a.m. service. And so, uh, so if I seem a little tired, no, 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 you don't, you don't know that. You think every Sunday morning I just came off of vacation, and that's all anybody needs to know. People are already tired and have problems. They don't need to hear more of it from the platform. So number one, come out of the gate with joy and real joy. And again, you can't have fake joy. So if you're not a joyful person, get some. You should have been able to get all you need in, in Sunday's service. If you weren't, if you didn't, re-watch it and get it in your apartment by yourself. Get joy. Don't be a sad person. Don't have a sad face. As we come into God's presence today, how many of you believe he's going to do something wonderful? Amen. Do you? Because your face says the opposite. Lose that, this talk. Don't talk in this tone ever. Don't ever talk in this tone. Talk, project your voice. I mean, yell. I'm not, I'm not yelling. I'm not yelling. I'm not yelling from up here. Project your voice out of your sternum. I'm just talking to, to our Bible school students, but I'm talking right now, but I'm speaking. I'm speaking in a public way. I'm not talking like this, like I would talk, like as if uh, there's a room full of sleeping infants just behind the pulpit. That's how people preach. 
I think there's like a kid just fell asleep at three years old and you don't want to wake him up. He talked like this. I would, um, I would avoid headset mics. I think they suck personally. I don't like the echoey, non-full sound. What are your thoughts, my sound man friend? Especially cheap ones, he said. I would avoid lapel mics. They have an echoey, hollow sound. This, this causes you to lose one of your arms while you preach. You have to turn with one hand in the Bible and, and stuff like that. And then your Bible ends up getting abused because you have it under your armpit <laughs> praying for people. But this, this close to your mouth with this receiver is untouched. It's just like upstairs on the broadcast. Yeah, it doesn't look aesthetically the best to have a mic with a stand, but the, the sound difference between somebody that wears a lapel mic and somebody that, that has one of those mics like this, full sound um, holds people's attention. I mean, my, my friend back there, uh, what's the name of your, your company again? Live, live show. I take them on the road with me. Like pe- most people travel. Of course, now I do travel with musicians. But before I travel with anybody, my first thing I traveled with was my own sound man. Because I don't know how much this you'll remember after you graduate. But I'll tell you anyway. See these? These are called, what are these called? Wedges or monitors? Either one? Wedges or monitors. Most churches you go to spend a million dollars on the praise and worship and music. Everybody's got $3,500 in-ear monitors. And then the preacher gets a Radio Shack $40 microphone with no, no monitors. There's no care for his sound. Everything's tuned for the musicians. Then the preacher gets up and it's garbage. These monitors... Have one faced at you. Make sure of it. If you travel with your own, travel with your own. It makes all the difference because if you can't hear yourself, then you end up, you end, that's, that's why most people when they preach, their voice, they, you ever hear people preach and they start losing their voice and they take a drink of water at like the 14 minute mark? It's because of, of that. So if you can feel your own voice hitting you, then you don't, you don't feel the need to overexert. And that, then that's why I can preach three straight weeks of meetings and not, my voice gets stronger because of little sound things like that. Pay attention to the audio of your church when you're a pastor. How does it sound? And just like most people don't know how to dress, most people don't know anything about sound. So have a professional check your sound out. It makes a world of difference. It, it, it's the difference between holding people's attention and not holding their attention. And then if it's crappy sound, it's the difference between people enjoying staying at church. Or, you know, when's this, o- it, 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 when's this over? This is irritating. So pay attention to sound. Okay, uh, so we dealt with no, uh, no one. What are, the, what are the two points? No one likes you, no one cares. You're not interesting. No one likes you. And no one cares about what you have to say. Write those three things down. That will help you become a great preacher. To realize no one likes you. You're not interesting. And no one cares what you have to say. This would be a great Revival Today t-shirt. No one likes you. You're not interesting. No one cares what you have to say. You know what's funny? I was actually just saying that point to our youth volunteers, and they just kind of looked at me shocked. And then now you're saying it, which is just absolutely hilarious. Yeah, but you know what I mean, right? And then even him, as youth pastor, with the same youth group, but there's new kids coming all the time that don't like him, don't care what he has to say. That's the default. And I thank God, as much as when I was younger, I wished I could preach in the South more, like in on-fire churches. But I was always preaching in Canada and Maine and Vermont 
And the people were like, very, those three things I told you, they really don't like you. They really don't care what you have to say. And they let you know with their face. And it turned me into a good preacher. There's no courtesy amens. There's a bunch of people looking at you like, like you won money from them in a poker game. And so I had to learn to turn mean people on my side. That's why we have those classes going about persuasion. That stuff matters. What gets people to, say, to in the beginning, say, I don't like him, to all buy what he's selling? I understand we're not, it's a crude analogy. But there are things that they've studied that make human beings react positively and things that make them react negatively. So obviously you have the anointing, but you can be anointed and annoying and people not like you. There's a lot of people like that. Unkind. So I'm not showing you a psychological way of doing things to replace the anointing. I'm showing you just like, just like with how to dress. There's a way to dress that works in your favor. There's a way to behave that works in your favor. I like that thing Jesse Duplantis said that Joseph taught Jesus how to be human. He had no earthly father. So what was Joseph's point? He was already born. Joseph showed him how to behave on earth. Hey, you don't have to walk on water all the time. Just swim like the other boys. You know, how do you behave on earth? So you really should study how to behave on earth. What do people respond to? What do they not respond to? What do, not that you base your messages on it. But what, why have things work against you that don't need to work against you when you could have things working for you? Appearance, behavior, how the platform looks, etc. What would you add to that from, from a youth pastor's perspective? Oh, you know, I, we don't have like, and you get kids the same way, we don't have like junior services. So I would say any opportunity you get, Take it like you're preaching at Lakewood in front of 20,000 people because that's how you're going to act when you get there. A lot of people think if, like, if I was a normal youth pastor, I'd be like, oh, you know, they're just youth. So let me sit on a stool and whatever. Next thing you know, I'll be 40 years old doing the same exact thing. So it's not going to change. So when you're younger, you're building habits now. Who's been to a youth service before? Are those normal youth services? Not even close. Because I'm setting myself up for a framework for actual ministry. There's no youth pastors in the Bible. There's no youth evangelists in the Bible. You're just a pastor or an evangelist. So might as well grab it by the horns and go hard right away. Because as much as you say, you know, I'm going to start slow and I'm going to build up and I'm going to use, I'm going to tie myself up in chains to illustrate that I'm breaking free. You're going to end up being 50, 60 years old doing the same crap. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's good. I'll tell you another thing that will happen that Pastor Jay like, triggered in my thinking. Okay, so they, have, they invite you to do a women's meeting. This is just like a short women's devotional. I'm not saying you have to jump on the tables and start flinging oil around. But I'm saying if you, <laughs> if you speak, you know, like you'd speak anywhere. Obviously, if there were a thousand people here, I would talk even louder because you, you, you would need to. But I wouldn't because there's 30 people. So it's nice to be here at this breakfast, lady. I would say, now, I'd have a word from the Lord. I'd preach it. And then what you're going to see happen is other people are there. Write this word in your notes, observers. God brings observers into your path. And what will happen is, they start thinking as they're hearing you speak. 
This lady doesn't belong doing meetings like this. We have, we have a, a sectional women's meeting that we do in the church of God once every quarter. And let me tell you something. The last three I was not happy with, and I feel like th- this lady's exactly what we need. So remember, especially with live stream now, people are watching you. So you should conduct yourself with the microphone in a way that knowing that you can have a, I mean, I won't go into names, but because, because uh, Periscope used to show who was watching, like who had logged in, we had UFC, not Rory, we had, we had one UFC guy that, that we're friends with, but we had like other UFC champions. I've had like well-known stand-up comedians watch, watch me and follow me on Twitter and watch my messages that are, are not professing Christians. So when I'm preaching, I don't just have in mind that crowd. That's why I make sure I have good sound and, and look, because I'm not just speaking here. I'm speaking to the whole world. Who knows who's watching me right now? Like, how many people have we played the, the, the um, testimonies that I saw miracle service, so I clicked on it because I was sick? So even if everybody here is sitting on me, which you're not, I'm just saying, if everybody I'm speaking to is sitting on me, then I know there's people there that are watching too that need a touch and a miracle. So raise, elevate your speaking to a high level regardless of where you are. Because most places, particularly when you're younger, it's going to be a complete clown show before you get the mic. It's an unserious pastor or an extremely unserious youth pastor that, that, that's, you know, will be, if he, if he makes heaven, it'll be because of a bookkeeping error. Barely saved, if saved at all. And, 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 you know, just having fun and games and who can eat the most marshmallows without vomiting and then swing it to you. And so your tendency is to go to whatever level the room's at. Okay, so it's like this. I'll just kind of go. No, no, no. And I'm not saying you got to do a hard left turn into a wall. But that's why it is a nice transition to say, let's stand on, you stay seated. Let's stand on our feet, everybody. Give Jesus a great big hand clap. Who came expecting to receive from the Lord? You know, I'll, I'll give you one that you can tuck away. How do you transition from an absolute, um, <laughs> something that's completely set up to fail and make it a success? When I got asked to speak to the, the, the teenagers at a high school in Kensington, Philadelphia, one of the worst high schools in the country, you had to clear two metal detectors before you got into the school. Two of them. You only could do one at the airport. And then the pastor gets up, or sorry, the vice principal gets up and is, you know, threatening to suspend and expel people to get people to sit down and be quiet. People are throwing things. It looked like a scene from like an 80s high school movie that's like over the top, you know, papers being thrown. That's what it was like. It was a zoo. Hey, I want to start to suspending people, kicking tra- Rubbermaid trash cans to get people's attention. And we have a guest here, and I expect you to show him some respect. He's a priest, and he's here. You know, I'm not a priest. That's all they know. He's here. You know, all black school. I think I was the only white person. So everything in the natural set up for it to be go horrible. And everyone's looking like, okay, so I got a, a priest that's going to tell me I have no interest in the Catholic Church. What do you do? I got up and I said, very quickly, because I know you have a lot to do. I want to tell you something. In a crowd this size, some of you have life all together. You don't have any problems, and I probably can't help you. But in this size of a group of people, some of you are going through major problems that nobody knows about. Some of you have thought about taking your own life. 
It's dead quiet. And if that's you, I can help you. Because we live in an increasingly communist country that won't allow me to talk about God in public school. I'm preaching at the church across the street. And if you'll come tonight, we're going to do a raffle for three iPads because I believe some of you are going to go to college and I want to give you at least what I can to help facilitate your learning. And if you, or MacBook. And, and I promise you, you won't be sad that you came. And I look forward to seeing you tonight. And we had, what, tw- 24 of them come over. And I think all, uh, everybody that came over gave their life to Jesus Christ. So that's, that's out. Because there, God will give you what to say. There's something to say in the beginning to bridge it. And take, talk to people about them. They'll learn about you and your preaching. Comments about you will slip into your preaching and what you did. And they'll end up knowing I have a wife, a Dallas, and a daughter, Camila, without me taking the first. If I got up and said... Thank, thankful to be here today in Philadelphia. You have such a beautiful city. First of all, they know it's full of crap because it's not a beautiful city. And then secondly, especially that part. Secondly, um, if I got up and said, you know, I travel with my wife. and my, They don't care. No one, remember, what's the one point? Nobody cares. Nobody cares about you and your wife traveling around the country. But they do care about them. So talk to people about them. Turn to 1 Kings 17. Then I'm going to have you chime in on the preaching part since you've had to do it as a, with a, a double handicap of not just the stuff I'm talking about, but being my wife and people probably like wishing I was preaching in the beginning instead of like how you overcome that stuff. What'd you say? 1 Kings 17, 8. I'll start at verse 10. 1 Kings 17, 10. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God, I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. Now, notice how he was received, because no one cares. You're asking somebody to get you water and bread, even if you're Elijah. This is Elijah. Lady doesn't care. So don't take it personally. Because people, that's how pe- people don't care about Jesus. People didn't care what he had to say. And then they ended up getting so sick of what he had to say, they, they made a plan to kill him. So that's, you need to know that. If you know that, you'll bridge a gap to the crowd. And there'll be connection. Like my meetings have connection. That's what people tell me that watch online. Well, you walk through the crowd. Yeah, I'm connected. To you right now, I'm connected. If somebody scratches their left arm in the fourth row, it throws me off in a meeting. I can feel everything. (laughs) I'm not up there delivering. I think that's why many churches had an easy time just going online only during COVID because there's no connection anyway. You know, if all you do is stand by in the pulpit and just... Look over the tops of everyone's head and rattle off your three points in 28 minutes, then dismiss, bring the next crew in, do it again. Go on. You're, you're basically already having an online live church. There's no looking at the people, talking ministry to the people. I speak to people into their spirits. I don't deliver a speech. What are you speaking on? To? I don't know what I'm speaking. I don't do that. I'm not Abraham Lincoln giving the Gettysburg Address. And it changes based on what I feel in the room. And, and the, the gifts of the Spirit will work in your preaching. So even Elijah didn't get received. 
But Elijah said to her, now this is when he got her turned around. Don't be afraid. Who's he talking to now? Who is the subject of that statement? Who is he speaking to? Her. Everything else was him before that. Bring me water. Bring me bread. That's why I think it's not the best to take an offering up front when you come preach as a guest. Now, Sunday morning, there's something in Americana for the last 300 years that people give tithes and offerings at church, so it's not, it can work on a Sunday morning. I think as a guest, it's a bad idea to do what Elijah did, and it proves it here. Before I speak, um, we have a ministry, and um, we're believing for this, and if you could, I don't, you know, people, you're going to get the same reaction that this woman got, or that Elijah got with this woman. Give you some money. I got to, I got my husband is in the hospital, and I've been raising these two kids by myself, working at Chick-fil-A. You want me, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get the same reaction as this woman. Talk to people about them. Don't be afraid. Then he's going to continue talking to her. Go ahead and do just what you said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Now he's got a prophetic word for her. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends the rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said. Nothing changed in that story till Elijah talked to her about her. In your preaching, talk to people about them, not you. In your offerings, talk to people about them. He told her what the Lord was going to do for her money. When you listen to me receive offerings, and I don't want to get into this because I'll deal with it tomorrow. We're just going to deal with the preaching part today. When you deal with the money, you, you hear me, you don't hear me say how much, have you ever heard me announce what the, what the rental fee is for that soccer dome? How much we pay a month? You ever hear? It, I mentioned how much stuff costs if it's a testimony that it's all paid for already. That's it. You don't hear, now listen, if you could help, we have this, we have this. No one cares about you. They care about them. So what do you hear me say? God's going to make you the greatest businessman in the western Pennsylvania area. As you, as you connect your money to the kingdom of God, which is, which is scriptural. I get, give people a picture. What did Elijah do? He gave her a picture about what her life could look like if she would obey the word of God. Talk to people about them. Tell people what their life can look like if they'll put God first. Can you say amen? amen. Paint a picture for people in offerings, in salvation. You know a line my dad has, my dad doesn't call people to the altar. People come to the altar as a response to the picture he's painted. Wouldn't it feel good to lay your head on the pillow tonight and know that you have peace with God and your sins are all forgiven? And people think, yeah, that would feel good. Because I, I, if I don't have a drink before I go to bed, I can't sleep. I'm so tormented by things I've done and things that have been done to me. Wouldn't it feel good to be forgiven of all your sin? If you're interested in that, I'm going to pray. And just kneel down. In come the people. No pleading. Because he already gave them a picture of what their life's going to look like after they leave the altar. That's what you do in your, in your preaching. You know, the healing preachers. You might have come here in a wheelchair, but you're going to put on new shoes. Some of you are going to go to the shoe store tomorrow and buy shoes for the first time. You're going to, you're going to dance in this tent tomorrow night when they play the music. 
There'd be people, Brother Shembach prayed for a lady. She brought red high heels with four inch heels, a paraplegic. Then he prayed for her and she put the shoes. She was ready because he painted a picture. He already got people thinking of what their life was going to be like after the anointing touched them. People are always told that they're low and they're not going to amount to much and nothing's going to change. While I'm flowing, let me just flow a little more. I met with a preacher and he said, you and I, which he was correcting my preaching in a very nice way. This is a while back, and he was right. He said, you and I had parents who love us and prayed for us and taught us the Bible. He said, no one you're preaching to has parents like that, which obviously some people do, but basically no one does. He said, most people you're preaching to, remember this, the only encouraging thing they're going to hear the whole week is from you. Their husband hates them, their children hate them, their boss hates them, their co-workers hate them. And so all day here, the TV is, you have a one in three chance of having cancer, and everything's negative. So if you'll come and lift them, you're going to make it. I mean, look at my Uncle Ted blow up Pastor Rodney's church just saying you're going to make it basically for six minutes. The doctor said you're dying, you're going to make it. You're down to your last dollar. I came to tell you, you're going to make it, and it'll turn into a million. People start standing up. People are, are, are wired to respond to reward. That's why you'll never motivate people as a leader, as an evangelist or pastor or anything else, by fear or consequence. We don't have children's workers. No one cares. Remember, always refer back to point one. No one cares. No one cares that you don't have children's workers. No one cares that your tires are bald. No one cares that you don't have enough money to get to your meeting. No one cares. That's people. If you have stage four cancer and you tell someone who has a toothache, they're going to nod their head and, le- and still be thinking about their toothache. People are thinking about them. That woman then say, oh, my God, this is Elijah. Who cares if we starve to death? This man is greatly used of God. No. You want me to bake some bread for you? Kiss off. Go find some gated community. I'm down to my life. People don't care. But then, when you tell him, say this with me, God is a rewarder. God, is a rewarder. God didn't spend the bulk of his time motivating by uh, hell. He spent the bulk of the word telling you about these blessings shall come and overtake you and pursue you. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So tell people about the reward. How did we raise up an army of soul winners at this church? We preached on the 10 rewards for winning souls. You don't, you don't motivate one single person. I mean, you know, we're Christians, and some of us don't even tell anyone about Christ. And that, Would your neighbor even know the way to heaven? That doesn't do anything. Start telling people what the Bible says happens to soul winners. Tell people what the Bible says happens to people who tithe and give offerings. Tell people about the reward. How do you get 100 people to show up for prayer? 30 of them are staff and are forced to go, and the other 70 get motivated What do you preach on? The blessing of prayer. What does prayer do for you? What does prayer do for the situations around you? Talk to people about them. Don't scold people for having desires to move upward. Some people are only interested in themselves. Yes, all people. The sooner you realize that, the better. There's almost nobody that that, that is going to do something if there's nothing in it for them. And God, God made that fine. Jesus didn't do Jesus died for people so they could be saved. God, God, God accommodates that. God's not up in heaven. When, who did Jesus tell that was sick? 
Oh, sure, you want healed from your leprosy, but you have no interest in coming with me to teach the word. No. See, when somebody's sick, they can't think past the sickness anyway. When somebody's in real poverty, they can't think past the poverty. If you haven't eaten in two days, you get, well, I'm just going to, let's talk about the Great Commission. I need food. My child is sick. If until people get past that oppression of the devil, their life is on pause. Right, Kof? Yeah. So if you ignore it or scold it, some people just want healed every day. Meanwhile, we've got a war going on in Israel, Bible prophecy being fulfilled right before our eyes, and all you want is a blessing. Let me know how it works out for you. Your church, you know, that's why your church is going to go sideways for three decades. Because people do need a blessing. You can mock all that all you want. People need blessing. People need a breakthrough in an area. When it even is breakthrough? It's when somebody's been hitting a wall and they can't get past it. And then by the anointing, you preach something into their spirit. that I'm not staying there. I'm going forward and I'm going to have what God said is mine. Breakthrough. People need that. Preach it to them. Don't scold them. You're not going to have any money come in your offering by saying it's a shame that people don't give to the work of the Lord. That doesn't motivate anybody. Nobody gets motivated by scolding. People get motivated by a reward. If you've ever worked out at, at, at the gym and you don't like it, the thing that starts to make it where, you, you know what, I'm not going to skip today, is when you start seeing results. You start seeing yourself during the day doing things. You didn't do carrying things, moving things, having more energy and wanting to go, hey, this is starting to work. No, I'm not skipping tomorrow. I'm seeing a personal benefit. The Bible is loaded with personal Show me anything God asked people to do that he didn't tell you a, a blessing that came with it. From winning souls to building churches to whatever. God talks to people about them. Elijah talked to that woman about her. And until he did, she had zero interest in being involved. And, but then when he talked to her about her, miracle for her, Bible story that's preached for a long time. Tell people. I mean, look at the reaction when I say, all of you that came in on the bus today, just so you know, we don't consider you poor. And if you stay at this church, it'll be impossible for you to stay poor. We're bringing you here to put, not because we feel bad or to, or to pay some kind of placate my conscience to help poor, poor minorities. I don't care about any of that. I have you here to put the word of God on you because the greatest black people and Hispanic people in this area are going to come out of this church and revolutionize this city. People are on their feet without asking them to because God wired people to be spoken to like that. God spoke to people like that. How did the angel come to Gideon? Oh, Gideon, thou loser who's hiding from your enemy. No, Gideon, great man of God, mighty man of God, to the point that Gideon went, me? You're talking to me? I'm the least, my, my, fam, my tribe is the least tribe. My clan is the least of that tribe, and my family is the least in that clan. You're talking to me? Yeah. Talk up to people. Talk them up. I know many of you are poor, and, or many of us are struggling during this recession and can't get... Enjoy, enjoy your little offering of pennies and nickels. You did that to yourself by getting people to see themselves as poor. I'm not talking to poor people. I'm talking to blessed people that are going to become more blessed. Now you speak like that. Start talking up to people and watch what you get out of them. Not that you're doing, it's not lying to get something out of people. It's, it's, it's what the Bible says. You're blessed. 
You're great people. There's greatness on the inside of you. You're going you're gonna to affect your generation for Christ. Talk and then t- carry the same thing over to your marriage when you get married. If you talk to your husband like he's a fool, he'll act like one. Talk to him like he's a king and he'll act like one. Talk to your wife like she's some dummy, she'll act like one. Talk to her like she's a, great, a, a queen, she'll act like that. People rise to how they're spoken to or lower to how the leader speaks to them. You can't coach a, a sports team. You wide receivers can't catch anything. Quarterback's got a noodle arm. We can't throw any, we can't drop any plays because you can't throw the ball past 18 yards without it getting intercepted. That guy's not gonna, you're gonna talk him right out of sports. But you start finding what he can do and t- telling him, now, I, you know, that's what a, a good coach can do. He can have a group of guys that he knows are gonna get their rear ends kicked by 48 points. But have them convinced if we run this plan this way, we're gonna, we're gonna beat them. And that's how you talk to people. Talk to the, the king and the queen on the inside of them. See it. Yeah, they might have on dirty clothes and smell like marijuana. That's how they're living. They need to get, they're, they're going to get saved. But in there is a spirit, that, and they're created in the image of God. And it's up to you to knock all that other stuff off and bring to life the thing that God put on the inside of them. Can you say amen? Amen. And, and to preaching and like uh, the, the art of preaching. Um. I don't know why when you told me one time that you have to have, like, fill the room with your voice so that it hits the back wall and comes back to you. You said something like that. Explain that. Oral Roberts told a pastor that I knew. He asked Oral Roberts, what's the secret of growing a church? He said, when you can feel the anointing bouncing off the back wall and coming back and hitting you, it'll fill the building. That's like a very odd answer to a question. But So tell me what you got out of that. Well, I, I could like sense that. And, and I think like, uh, when you get up to the front, there is like an art to the whole process and you do have to command the room. So whatever mode that might be in order to get people on your side or to get people agreeable, that's like the first step. And so for me, um, because it's, it's already like, oh, who does she think she is? Great. She's, uh, we got a little, we're stuck with her. We came to see Jonathan. Um, she's wearing high heels. She's wearing red lipstick. You know, her hair's messy, whatever. Uh, you've already have like a list of things. And so for me to diffuse the whole thing, I usually just go into humor because I read somebody, uh, I read somewhere or someone spoke the fact that if you capture someone's humor, you capture their heart. And so I'll always poke fun of myself and I'll always like get everybody agreeable with something that I'm wearing, something crazy or, you know, uh, I'll poke fun of me being so Puerto Rican or something, you know, I like guns, something, something crazy. Uh, and, and usually that's the mode that I use to kind of get everybody on the same page with me so that I can move forward. Uh, but other than that, I don't. No, you can't tell me that's all you've learned about speaking from 2016 till now. Changes that you've made. Changes that I've made. Uh, co- literally commanding a room. Understanding that everybody is there and they're going through different things in their life and you got to bring them to the base level. And so whatever that might be, you know, it, it, it could be, uh, 
it, this is this is going to benefit you uh, in every walk of life. Here's why or whatever, you know. Um, and also that that thing you said about how every person, uh, every pew has 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 a broken heart. That really ministered to me because at times you're looking over the crowd and, you know, 50, 60, 70 percent of people are not with you. And you could, you could sense people that are with you and people that are not with you. And one of the things that I've learned, uh, being married to Jonathan is, is those are too big of a shoes for me to fill. So I just stay in my lane and I'm, I'm comfortable being me. And I think that's really something that's, that will come off when you speak is your security and who you are and what your message is. And so if you stay in your lane, you'll excel, you'll do well. And, and, you know, for the first few hundred times that I spoke, I was horrible, but I continued to do it. So you never give up. Huh? Yeah, okay. Thank you, Brother Kofi. Um, I'll pay you later. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's just you continue to do it. Here's, here's a, a, an advice that I would tell you. Disregard how you feel at the end of every preaching service or whatever all the services T tell them what what uh the pastor in canada told me the old pastor in canada i don't remember the devil never wants you to go home after you preach feeling good so you'll have thoughts come to you what you messed up i did a lousy job or and then if you're not thinking it there'll be there's sure to be some straggler that'll hit you up on your way out the door yeah um you prayed for my mother last week <laughs> she actually died so <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> that is true. That is an yeah. absolute. The devil. The devil fact. sent one person your way that their name is. Wah, wah, yep. wah, yes. wah. So, so you got to fight that. Stay happy. And and your thoughts. Fight the, fighting those thoughts that you could have done better. Every time I put Real the quick, mic down. You, you know where that's at in the scripture? No. What happened after Elijah called fire down from heaven and then killed all the false prophets? What did he do the next year? And then called rain down and outran the king's chariot. What did he do the, right after that? Went, over, went under a tree and asked God to kill him. So what? I, there is something in the anointing when, it, when the, the preacher... Now, you're anointed all the time, but there's an unction to preach. And when that lifts, you are in such a superhuman state. And then when it lifts, the, if you're not careful, you'll go into depression after it, right? Yeah. And start thinking negative thoughts. And, so don't, don't, do a, uh, don't deal with it the way Elijah did, and don't deal with it the way Samson did. <laughs> After the anointing list, get me a hooker. That's what Samson would do. Yeah, that would be a bad isolated sound clip. But you think preachers do that? They, they deal with it both ways. They're on antidepressants or they have a mistress. So don't do it. Learn, learn how to stay happy. You know what I caught my Uncle Ted doing one time after he finished preaching? Watching the Three Stooges. I thought he was going to be in the room praying or whatever. He's just sitting there watching Mo slap Curly in the head and laughing. I would say when you get done preaching, put happy stuff on. I would switch, I'd switch into like, I'd just put something on that makes me laugh. Go ahead. And, and you, the, the reason why we're full of the Holy Ghost is because we can edify ourselves. Like we, we built, pray in the Holy Ghost if, if you start feeling that way. But you can also train your mind. So that's really important to just shut that part off of, of that discouraging spirit that would try to come on you. And every time I put the mic down, I say, Lord, I did my best. 
and I did it unto you. And that's it. That's, that's, that's the best that you're going to get, but I'll do better next time. And then I leave it at that and I don't think about it again. And so, uh, you know, another thing that helped me as I, uh, you know, I've been preaching throughout the years is the fact that if it, if it was, if one person grabs hold of the message that you're preaching and it changes their life, it was worth it. Cause we were in, in Hobart, um, Indiana. And I, I, it was the second time I had preached and Jonathan forced me to do it cause I didn't even want to do it the second time. Cause I thought the first time I was awful and, uh, everybody was sitting on me. So I was like, this was a, once again, a flippity flop. And, uh, I sat down and I got super discouraged. And then this one guy who was bigger than my friend, Luke, Luke, get up, get up, Lukey. He was bigger than this guy. How much do you weigh? He was probably like 320 pounds. Like he had a big belly. He was massive. And he walked towards me. And uh, I was like, great. He's going to tell me that all women should shut up. And I'm going to say, yeah, I agree with you, sir. Uh, And what ended up happening was he's like, when you were preaching, the Lord illuminated the fact that I, I was working in fear. And he goes, this afternoon, I was going to plan and, and go and kill my wife's boyfriend. And he goes, she ran off on me with this guy. and I was. But you can still do it. it. Just don't do it in fear. True. Yeah, that's what I said. Do I it in faith. It. Yeah. And uh, so, <laughs> so he... Uh, so he said, he just started breaking down and he said, everything I, I'm starting to see now that everything I've been doing in my life has been kind of rooted in fear. And you broke that off of me. And I just want you to know, like, I'm going to go home right now, call my husband, uh, call my husband, uh, call my wife and her boyfriend and invite them to church because he was just full of God's love. And so after that, it was only one. Nobody answered the call. No one, it, it seemed like no one cared. But that one guy ministered to me. And when I sat down, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, if, it, if it's worth just one person being liberated from fear, isn't it worth it? And I said, yes. And I never looked back. I said, if one person gets the message that I'm preaching, it is well worth it. And so encourage yourself. You're doing it unto the Lord anyway. Yeah, and, the, and those feelings are of the devil. And I, and I dealt with them a lot. I think that's why that pastor brought it up to me in the gifts. He was like 80 years old. He's like, remember, the devil never wants you to leave a service. Adonis was there. He went, don't beat yourself up on the way home when you finish preaching. Which he'd never been with me on, on the way home or anything, but I did. And then one time I was at the river for the stand, and they had seven students testify from, from River Bible Institute. And all seven went to the Bible school from one of my meetings from churches that I thought I had made a mistake going there. Like, why did I even go to this place? And it, I feel like it was the Lord showing me. There's a, there's a scripture verse in the New Living Translation. It says, nothing you ever do for the Lord is useless. So it's impossible to sow the seed of God's word and, and great things not come out of it. So just like everything else, if somebody prays for you and the full healing hasn't manifested in 10 seconds, you know, like, what was that? Just because you can't see what happened. What if that guy never stopped to come tell Adalus that he was going to go kill somebody and you really helped me today with your message? Then she, that's the just because he came and told her she knew something happened. But if he if he got called out or had to go to work and leave the service early, she wouldn't have known that. You have to know whether it looks like it or not. You are having an effect on people for the positive, assuming you're preaching the word. Now let's let's finish up the how to preach. 
Um, I'll give you two things. Preach with points. I know you'd think I wouldn't say that. I actually have a pointed message every time I get up to the pulpit. And uh, other than Sunday mornings, rarely follow it. But I don't intend to not follow it. So don't pick up from me that you just get up there, you pray in tongues all afternoon, just get up there and let it fly. Have points. Have something to keep you on track. And then, and I would say, I would say two or three points. If the anointing hits on one of those points, just, just there's a time to stop preaching. When it hits, if everybody goes on their feet without you asking them to, that's probably a good place to transition to the altar. Because that, I mean, for somebody to do that, you're not asking people to stand up. They're, they're so moved by what you're saying that you preach them out of their seats. I, I, I would start to transition from talking to ministry. Even though you really want to give out your next two points because you worked really hard on it, it's super life changing. It's very hard. That's an extremely hard thing to do. But, and then what you think when you're starting is okay, they stood up, they'll stand up again, but they might not. You might, you can do what's called preaching past the anointing, where actually the Lord wanted to move right there. And because you wanted to finish your message and sat everybody back down, you blew it. So flow, flow with it. It's not your service, it's the Holy Spirit's service. So when, he, when he's ready to move, Jesus taught, then preached, then healed. The speaking is not an end to itself. Now, you have homiletics before you graduate here, but just remember, if preaching all your points and closing in prayer that God keeps us safe as we go our separate ways is a failure. That's not preaching. Taught, then preached, then healed. Not taught, then preached, and dismissed in prayer that we all be sa- have traveling mercies as we go our separate ways. There should be a move of the Spirit of some kind on the end of your preaching in regards to what you're, you're teaching and preaching. And if, if you don't have that, you failed. So you don't have to take that where you're depressed about it, but just don't fail. You know, change it. So that leads me to the final thing about preaching that we'll deal with today. Have an end destination in mind in your preaching. You can't just take off on a plane with no destination in mind. And you don't just get in the car and drive with no place in mind to, to go. But a lot of people, when they preach, they know their title, they know their points, but they've never given any thought on how they're going to land the plane. Are you preaching for people to get saved? Are you preaching for people to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Are you preaching for people to be healed? And it really basically should be one of those three things. So if you listen to Billy Graham, he would start announcing that. In the beginning, first words out of his mouth. When I conclude my speaking, I'm going to give an invitation for you to come to the, to, to the altar and join me publicly to make a profession for Christ. So he was giving his altar call up front. He knew exactly the direction he's headed at. A lot of the great healing ministers, same thing. Tonight we're, we're going to be ministering to those who are infirmed in their bodies. And we're going to anoint everybody with, with oil. And so everybody knew where the car was headed. Rather than just springing an altar call at the end, you know, let people know where you're going. Give them time to, to chew on it in their mind about, okay, maybe I will have this guy pray for me. And then as you preach, go from maybe I will have you pray for me to I'm, I'm going up there 
right right now. God's going to touch me. I know tonight's my night. So I, I find a lot of people give very little thought to their altar call or their conclusion of their service. They just kind of, okay, I'm done saying everything. You can tell. It's like point three, and they preach it and read the scripture. And so and that's why we must be faithful to the Great Commission. Stand on our feet, everybody. You know, they're, they're done. Whereas really, you should not have your last point and dip. You want to hit it on going in, into your, your conclusion. There's a big difference between, and that's why, that's why um, we need to be faithful to the Great Commission. Let's stand on our feet. If there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus Christ, uh, that's why we need to be faithful to the Great Commission. Jesus is coming soon. There's people in this room right now that you don't know Jesus Christ. You need to be at this home like that. You should drive through your ending, not run out of gas for your ending. The, the, heart, the, the strongest anointing should be at the conclusion of the message. That's why I said when, when people stand up, if you preach people out of their seats, land it. You know, I had a nine-point message on Sunday. But when we hit joy on number two, that, that, was, that was where the anointing was, so... So I went with it. So ha- have have your conclusion in mind. Jay, one more thought on preaching? You do have to be somewhat confident and believe what you're saying in order to convey it to someone else. I think it's T.L. Osborne has that quote that it's, um, at whether they know it or not, everybody needs what you have. And whether they know it or not, everybody wants yeah, right what you know. T.L. Osborne's two, two rules for ministry. I have what everyone needs, and everyone needs what I have. You have to have that confidence. I'm not, I'm not giving people something that, like a new vacuum cleaner. If you want it, you can have it. If not, I understand. You need, whether you know it or not, you need what I have, and I have what you need. I know exactly what God's Word says in this area that can set you free. I'm not throwing out ideas. I've got it. Continue. And you know, preaching is just painting a big picture. It was like Pastor Jonathan said, people are so enveloped in their own issue. You see in the book of Acts when Paul's preaching to the man in Lystra that's crippled. The Bible says that the man, Paul realized the man had faith to be healed. So whatever picture Paul painted, let that man realize that God can change him right now. So you do have to paint that grandiose magnificent picture that on the other end of Jesus is something that's going to improve someone's life. And if you don't believe it yourself, it's very difficult to convey that to someone else. Because a lot of times when you see bad preachers, it's because they genuinely don't believe what they're saying. You know, we need to pray for the sick, but you go back, you know, I went in for a CAT scan last week and I have AIDS and all this. (laughs) It's all the same stuff. No, it's true. And that's why you should be glad you go to this Bible school because what happens is people go to a Bible school where they put so much doubt in their mind that they hear their professor knocking healing for two years. So you'll hear it. You can tell they're having like an internal war. And how many know God wants to heal people today? Now we understand that, you know, not everyone gets healed. A double-minded man's unstable in all his ways. Let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord. A lot of you came, I don't know what churches most of you came from, but a lot of you, because you're from America, most of you, you came from churches like that. Everything's double-minded. You know, God will bless you. Now we understand everyone doesn't get blessed. Everything's like may or may not. Figure out what you believe and preach it from the Word. No, no two ways about it. 
Don't hear me make double statements about, it's like that thing my Uncle Ted says. What would you do if you prayed for someone and they died? He said, I'd say, next. <laughs> yeah, if you do what the Bible says, it's not, not up to me, the, the results. Jesus is the healer. Amen? Amen? Final thought on preaching. Uh, for the ladies, I think it's important, and now if that's coming from me, okay, uh, that you you keep it sweet, okay? Use what you got. You are a, a, a lady. You're feminine. Um, so just use that. Use your femininity. Use your gentleness. That's not, like, you don't have to, just be you is what I'm saying. Uh, at the end of the day, that's all you can be is is you. So if you have a sweet disposition, don't try to get up here and like, you know, tell people off. I was watching this lady uh, preach a long time ago, and she was just so rough and so mean, and and that is such a deterrent. You know, I I don't like that at all. And maybe some people like it. I don't know. But uh, treat people kindly. Like they're there to receive from you. Just be kind. Men as well. Women and men. Uh, you know, be true to who you are. That's a great point about being kind. And be kind. Because think of this. However people are looking at you, they came to church. They got dressed and got in a car and spent gas money to come hear you preach. So don't talk to them like they're your enemy. Oh, come on. People don't even want to hear it. Don't, don't take some combative attitude. I was telling a, a young evangelist, I said, I watch you preach. You're going to get punched. I'm just going to tell you, because I feel like punching you, and I'm a fellow preacher. You start, tell, you start insulting the crowd all the time and start making fun of Texans and stuff. You're going to get, somebody's going to wait for you in the parking lot and mess your hair up. <laughs> Don't treat, if you treat the crowd like an enemy, they'll respond like enemies. And you'll never have anybody but low middle class and low class people that are used to being spoken down to because they, they work at low income jobs where they get yelled at by bad managers. You'll never have a guy that runs a car dealership sit there and be berated for, for 40 minutes. Hey, I'll sit in here and act like you. Let me tell you something. You come into the house, you better, you talk to people like that. You're, you're High-level people. The top neurosurgeon on planet Earth just started coming to our church. He was not a full gospel Christian. He likes it. There's a way to speak to people where you speak to them like people created in the image of God. You don't berate them. Oh, come on. I don't hear anybody in here. What's the matter with Don't Don't do that. Don't, 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 uh, don't give people the Tommy Lasorda treatment. That was just for Jay. Okay, let's finish on preaching on this. Uh, I want to go back to the mountains and valleys voice, uh, voice inflection. So what do I mean by mountains and valleys? Write down underneath mountains and valleys in your speaking. Voice inflection. Sometimes you punch it, and then, then, some, then you go back to the, you go, for, you know, gear six gear to gear three. Not from gear six to gear one. Gear six to, to gear three. You, have, you speak. And then you, you punch. Jab, jab, uppercut. And then, so the mountains and valleys, number one, voice inflection. Number two, speech rate. They study Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech, I Have a Dream, for like a masterpiece speech. If I remember correctly, it goes from like 
at times 20 words a minute speaking to 400 words a minute. That's the pace he changes. I have a dream. I foresee a world where people are not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Then fast, then that. So that, that's good because that, this is all about keeping people's attention. So all fast speaking, and if he would have done the full 30 minutes, I had, it had been after like three minutes, okay, this is a great speech, okay, please. <laughs> I have to shave. You can't, you're going to do 20 minutes a little time, but punching those parts. So think of that. He even did it in reverse. Instead of speaking fast at, at the important part, he went slow important, fast at the part leading up to the importance. Work on that. Listen to yourself speak because you're going to, you know, it takes time. You're going to be all fast, all machine gun. You've heard preachers like that. It's like a machine gun for 45 minutes. But, you know, you, you could, when he said, I have a dream, he wasn't saying it with any less intensity than the rest of the speech. Just going slower word rate doesn't, I have a, Jesus is coming soon. That, that'll have a lot more power. Jesus is coming soon. You know what I mean? And then you know what I mean was fast. Jesus is coming soon. So mountains and valleys, voice inflection, and speech rate. Some general thoughts um, before I move off preaching. Give altar calls for people to get saved. And then underneath that, right, don't say, is there anyone here? People already feel like they're the only one. Don't give them the impression they're the only one. All of you who need to make a decision to receive Jesus Christ tonight. And then freaking relax. If nobody lifts their hand in the first four minutes, don't start bailing on your altar call. Also, the more specific you make it, the more people will come, and the more general you make it, the less will come. I mean, you just want more of God. I mean, you don't want to do life alone. You'd think more people will come, but they won't. Give people a clear, direct call to repent and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Christianity is not about not doing life alone. It's about repenting and being born again through the blood of Jesus Christ. Use language like that. All right. Some general thoughts about ministry, and then we'll take questions. We left off yesterday with having an excellent spirit, correct? All right, let's keep going. So what number was that, nine? Okay, and then we gave a lot of points for preaching, so who knows how many, what point we're on, but we'll go back to those general thought points. Number 10, have a warfare mentality in ministry. There are people that go to your church that would like to be on the offering counting team so they can steal your offering. There's people that attend your meetings that would like to molest children. There's people that would like to sue you. There's people in your healing lines that are hoping you lay hands on them too hard so they can fall over and sue you. Have a warfare mentality. There are people looking to take what God's given me. Don't be an idiot. We have the same, I can't believe if people were stealing from our offerings. We had the same two people count the offering for the last 11 years in a locked room. Can you believe they took some of the money? Yes, I think you deserve it. Warfare mentality. Think if I was the devil, how would I take myself out and then put safeguards in place 
outthink the devil. That's what having a warfare mentality is. It's outthinking the devil. It's not being a moron, like nothing can ever happen. You know, we have things in place. We didn't have to change one thing when they overturned Roe versus Wade and said people were going to attack churches the next Sunday. Our church is ready for attack. We got about 25 guys that are disappointed every Sunday that we weren't attacked. Warfare mentality. It's not about being paranoid or anything. It's about being smart. Number 11, in your ministry, take people on a journey. If you were following me in the ministry from the time Adalis knew me, I, was all, I always had a journey I was headed on that you were welcome to come with me on. In the beginning when she met me, what, what, what did I have going on? Hawaii. Hawaii, yeah. Yeah, we were built... We were holding meetings, our own evangelistic meetings in Hawaii in a place that had no churches. So I was preaching at your church in uh, Ohio, but we're receiving an offering. I'm going to go to Maui on invitation of the mayor, and we're going to hold meetings there. Have, have a journey you're taking people on. Your ministry should be accomplishing something. If you're following me right now, we're building a church in two cities. We're not just, this is church. How many know we should support the work of the Lord? How many know we should tithe? There should be something when people follow you that's being accomplished for the kingdom of God that's not being, that's different and unique and, and gives you more value than just, it separates you from just being the, the pack of vanilla speakers and interchangeable guest speakers. There's some, they don't make something up. Get something from God to do. You guys can jump in on, on any of these points if something hits you. Number and every year, every year, you should be aiming for something higher. Yeah. So that that's one of the, the things that we learned uh, right off the bat is that when we aimed bigger, we got bigger. Like when we when we uh, started increasing, we increased. And so th that's a mindset that at the beginning of every year, January for us was the 21 days of prayer and fasting. But in that time, we would pray and fast about what we wanted done that year that was bigger than the year before. And I remember because that was there was one year that we decreased in finances. I don't remember what that year was, maybe 2008. And I look back and I, we sat down, we talked and we said, why did we dip? You know, why, why is that? Let's never dip again. And we made up our minds that that year was going to be the only year that we had ever gone down or regressed. And then we started thinking, well, from this moment forward, if we don't want to regress, then there has to be an aim, an aiming. You know, we, we have to aim higher and we've got to do more. And so I remember very clearly, and we were in Voluntown at Maga's place at that point too, where we were like, we need fresh vision for every year, and it has to be bigger than the year before. Even if it's by just a little bit more, we got to increase. Right. And, and when we did, it, it just never stopped. And so it's important that you, you look at, dissect what's going on, be self-aware enough to um, look at the, the flaws and the things you should change, and then change them immediately and aim higher. Great. Take people on a journey. Number 12, avoid spiritual laziness. Read your Bible every day or listen to the Bible. Listen to preaching every day by anointed preachers who have miracles, not people that have nice haircuts and are cool. Just because you have miracles doesn't mean you're a, a, a correct minister, but if you don't have miracles, something's wrong. 
Because it's impossible to rightly teach and preach the Word of God and it not produce supernatural results. It's a supernatural book. Feed your spirit. Thirteen. Mistakes young ministers make. No connection to impartation. I was in Tampa last week staying connected to my source of impartation. Not get a touch, go missing, fall into crisis, come back, get another touch, repeat. Stay connected to your source of impartation. There should be somebody over you in the ministry. Not on paper that you have a relationship with. Yeah, on paper too. Fourteen. Be a church person. And that goes in line with it. Be in meetings. If you're a minister, you should be in church a lot. If you're not preaching, go hear somebody else preach. I'm going to hear Dr. Rodney preach again tomorrow night in Louisville, Kentucky. Have I heard not heard enough preaching? I was in church probably 70 hours last week listening to other people preach. Many ministers can't hear anybody else preach. Nobody knows anything but them. They're the best. Everybody else sucks. And that's why their ministries don't grow because God doesn't like people like that. It's called pride. And I'm, cool cool things just happen when you're in church. That's right. And like you'd think like if you're – we know evangelists, pastors that are just stagnant at their house all the time. But it's like, you know, that's where the action's at. That's, that's where, where stuff's going to happen. That's where you're going to meet people. That's where you're going to get booked for meetings. That's where someone's going to randomly call you out and accelerate everything you're doing is in those meetings. And I know for Jonathan, he opens up his Bible and he has a cell phone on there, like uh, listening. And I see him and he's writing down notes for sermons. Mm. And so like when you're in the anointing, you just get downloads all the time. It just keeps you sharp, right? Absolutely. That's really like if I was a professional poker player, I wouldn't live in Pittsburgh. I'd go live in Las Vegas and I'd I'd be at poker games. That's my thing that I would be around poker players playing poker. If I was in in investment and I wanted to be serious about it, I wouldn't live in Crafton. I'd live in Manhattan or now probably Sarasota, Florida. I'd get where the the thing is that I do. And then I, you know, if I wanted to be an actor, if you want to be an actress, where are you going to live? Hollywood. You go to L.A. You're not going to get you're not going to act around here. Something like a local car dealership commercial or something. But if you're, if you're serious, you get to L.A. If, you're, if you wanted to make it, like, really go in music, where should you be? I'm asking you because I don't know. Nashville. Nashville, Atlanta, and L.A. So I'm, a pre- I'm not any of those things. But I am a preacher. Pastor Rodney's meeting last week is probably the top one in North America, I've been at the top ones in Nigeria. I'm where pre- I'm I'm at the top thing where the action's at in my thing. Because what he said is great. People are all home believing God. I'm believing for my healing. Get to a healing meeting. Let somebody else do the believing for you. <laughs> and then you look at like Pastor Augustine and Pastor Abraham. They would drive through the night to get to wherever we were Stay at. Stay in their car. Stay in their car if to get to where to. we're at. Because yeah. they, and look at where they are now. They're no longer doing that. So there's, I couldn't imagine, you know, I played baseball growing up. I went to baseball games, even if I wasn't playing. I watched the older kids play. I watched the whatever play because that's where I wanted to be. So it's shocking how many other ministers are just like, oh, there's a meeting in Ross. Oh, it's a little too far. So probably just stay home and hang out. It's like you're 
you're already, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. There's no weird limbo middle ground. No, and, and like when we did What No I Have Seen, you know how many like older ministers, how do you know about Paul and Nietzsche? How do you not know about him? How is there somebody that has the largest church building on planet Earth and you're a pastor? A Christian should know who has the largest church, let alone somebody in your same line of work. Why do you know about Elon Musk and you don't know who Paul Nietzsche is? Are you in space exploration? You know what I mean? Why do you not know? Don't stay home believing for stuff. Get to where, now we're believing for financial breakthrough at church. Okay, good luck having it in your living room. Go to where somebody's caring and anointing for that and be in the meetings. And I'm telling you, that's, that's a major That's secret. religion, too, for you. And pride. And, and pride. It's the whole thing. It, it's what makes people uh, not do what they're called to do. Because, like, let's take, for example, uh, Pastor Augustine and Abraham. Had they stayed home, what, what's going to happen? Nothing is going to happen. But in, in, somebody taught people that when you... Just pray, pray for everything and you're praying and fasting and you're just believing and believing and believing and there's no activation to that. Nothing is going to happen. And so it's up to us to activate that through even even just going to services because who knows? Half of our staff was hired on the spot because you looked down at them and they were there. Yeah, because like like since we're using them as an example, Pastor Augustine and and, uh, Pastor Abraham, I... Not only were they at the meetings, they were attentive and receiving. That's actually, forget them. That's how I met Kofi. Or why when he asked to come on, the, when he said the Lord spoke to me to go on the road with you, I was going to tell him no. The whole reason he was able even to come and speak to me was I had called him out twice at uh, Dallas's Home Church Celebration International Church in Massachusetts. I liked him. I liked his spirit. I called, so I was like, see, when you're in the anointing is when preachers make up their mind about you. I don't like, you know, because people, you can see, you can see who they are on the inside when you're preaching. Sometimes like this and, and all tensed up or somebody's like, you can feel their faith and they have a good spirit. Like, yeah, I like that guy. And so that's how I met Kofi, uh, Marissa and Luke that are here. I met them in meetings. Uh, Pastor Augustine and Pastor Abraham. Maddie. They, they, yeah, Maddie. I saw Maddie preaching on Instagram. Then she came to my meeting in Fort Worth. When you're... You know, I heard Pastor Rodney Howard Brown tell a guy, this guy goes, um, I want you to know, Pastor Rodney, your ministry has really impacted me. He said, I've never seen you at any meetings. <laughs> oh, no, but I, I, yeah, it's impacted me. Not enough to actually go to your church ever, but really impacted me. Yeah. We're on the flip side. When someone's sitting in your meeting, Pastor Dean and Denise, they're not just my ex-youth pastors. They were coming down here on a routine basis to Maine, then moved here. Who makes changes like that? That's a big that's a big change to make at 35. You know, so that says something when you're when you're there. And again, not to go there needy looking at you should be there to receive. What you're going to receive from the person you receive from the platform. Not going there looking for meetings or fi- hoping somebody gives you a financial blessing. That that that's a, they'd be better off to stay home cuz people can spot that a mile away. But it, but if if you're where meetings the word the term he used is right. It's where the action's at. The Holy Spirit moves at meetings. The woman with the issue of blood, yes, she heard about Jesus and believed he would heal her and said, I, I know when I touch him, I'll be made well. But then she went, she was like, when's Jesus coming back? Or does he ever come this way? No, she went to where he is. So I, I, I would, I would be in meetings. And, and I'm not saying that now that I'd have like a jet and extra money. We spend, 
We'd spend sometimes the last of our money to get to a week of meetings. Just believe, you know, I believe something good's going to happen. Something, if you're at a proper spiritual church, and sadly, so many people have now in the last 20 years been at unspiritual churches where nothing happens, that they have a deadened expectation. But if you're in proper meetings, like what no eye has seen, they are platforms for massive people came out of what no eye has seen and started blowing up in their ministries and getting buildings and property. That's what meetings are supposed to do. And I, while we're on the subject, let me tell you this. If you're going through something in the ministry, you can preach your way out of it. Don't take a break from the pulpit. Come in, buckle down and say, something good not only is going to happen in this meeting for the people, something good's going to happen to me in this meeting. God moves in the gathering of his people. Not in your house. I'm believing God. Great. Now believe him and get in your car and go to a meeting. Especially like, you know, I'm... When, when you're younger and you have like a, an emptier schedule, praise God, you'll get meetings. But when you have an emptier schedule, go to treat it like, you know, if you're an athlete, going to these services, like going to the gym, you're building yourself up, you're skill training, you're receiving stuff from other people. Because when, whenever, you know, there's a lull in your schedule, I'd make it a point to find out where someone's preaching and, and get to where that is. Yeah, and it's like like to bring up Pastor Abraham and, and um, Pastor Augustine again. I was preaching in El Paso, Texas. They were there. Then the next night I was preaching in Oklahoma, and I flew there. It's not close. And they came in like an hour late to the meeting. So I stopped. I, I said, weren't you guys in the meeting in El Paso last night? They said, yeah. I said, how, how long a drive was that? How long a drive was it? 16 hours. They left after the meeting ended and drove straight to the, the next meeting. So now, they, it's not like, well, I don't, they might be tricking me. Nobody's that committed to a scam. <laughs> and so then when I'm preaching and I see Pastor Augustine here, it's like, are you graduated from school? I don't need to know much more about you. I like you. You actually like, I don't need, you don't even have to tell me you like my ministry. I don't like my ministry enough to drive 16 hours to come hear me preach. <laughs> So I, that's all I need to know about you. And then same with, with Pastor Abraham and, and basically everybody that's here. I knew Pastor Sam from the river and churches there. I knew his track record in the past. I know everybody from meetings. I know uh, Patrick that runs our finances got hired out of a revival meeting. Has anybody not been hired from meetings? No, everyone that's, Huh? Everyone everybody. So that's, what, that's where the Holy Ghost moves on a, on a leader it, when he's preaching. That's why people, they make a mistake when it's like, do you think I could get backstage to see um, Pastor Rodney? That's not where the action happens. The action happens in the meeting. Actually, Pastor Dean that's here, you want to know what, what, what factored heavily into me hiring him? Was when, uh, who gave you the prophetic word? Uh, who called you and gave you a prophetic word? Pastor Dagger or Pastor Paul? Yeah, that, that, that uh, the Lord's going to accelerate this this back half of your life and the ministry and the things you haven't attained yet, you're going to attain. I believe that word. I heard it. It's like, okay, yeah. So it's, it's not like he got a word, you've messed up and God's done with you. And then I'm, no, I'm going to hire him anyway. It's like, I'm already facilitating what God's already doing in his life. That all happened in a meeting. I, the, the wheels started turning on that that day when I, when I heard that word. Get to where the action's at. I met my wife in a meeting. In Fort Worth. 
That's, That's also where, a which, yeah, which which was was a preaching meeting. Those are the. What about you? What do you have to add to that, Brother Kofi? I just like what Jay said. If you're an athlete, you go to practice to to get better. It's just even with the art of preaching, with a lot of the things that you said, I realized that. I learned them just by watching you and watching other preachers. So you become even a better preacher. You learn how to um, you learn how to minister to people, even pray for the sick, and those things in a meeting by watching other people. That's right. You know, and um, I was I've been praying to God for to see people healed when we minister. And I'm telling you, I pray and I fasted, and nothing was happening. But my wife and I were driving to a meeting. We're listening to you know, just like watching it up, listening to TLS born. And since then, we started seeing um, healings, watching Brother Ted, how Brother Ted prays for the sick. You begin to you realize that you, the Bible is the, the Bible has the power to produce what it produces. So just even just the simple things, watching how somebody prays for the sick. Okay, there was a lady with cancer. How did he minister to the lady with cancer? And also like mimicking those things. But if you don't go to meetings, if you don't watch other people, if you don't study, then you would you would always do what you know how to do. And and what you saw, and again, I don't have anybody's churches in mind because I don't I didn't process your applications, but you're gonna believe everything I believe, but do it in the framework of how you saw your dead church do it. So you hear all our stuff on healing, but then when it's time for you to pray for somebody, Father God, we just ask no no the turn around. For, you know, Father God, we just come to you right now. We, because you're going to do what you saw done, which is co- coming from behind, laying a hand on the shoulder, having other people gather around. Nothing happens. So you're not doing it right. But then w- when you see it, I remember seeing I never saw a deaf person get prayed for. Other than Lord, help them as they go through this, Lord. And let it, I never saw it until I, I, my uncle tells me, deafness and hardness of hearing come out in Jesus' name. Open. And the guy second, well, that way seems to work much better. <laughs> so then my next meeting that somebody said, I, I have hearing loss, I did it. I'm like, All right, I'm going to try it the, the, the new way. Because it didn't change anything I believed. I just saw how, how you administer it. Because you learn, it's the advantage that preacher's kids have. You learn how to behave. You can't really teach principles on how to behave. It, you know, you learn behavior by by watching, that's true, and and mimicking. And mimicking is probably a bad word, but you would, you know, it's like like Camila or like I held a, a one week revival at a church outside of Philadelphia, and they have a Christian school. They sent me a video. All the kids at, at, at the Christian school the next day, little kids for recess, were lining people up, laying hands on them, and then fall over, and other people were catchers. That's what they did for fun at recess. People do what they see. What is, the, what is the thing God told, uh, as far as you can see, and Mo, Moses, uh, as far as your eyes can, as far see, as your eyes can see, what you don't see, you'll, ne- you, you'll never do. That's the whole thing that people take with like vision boards and all that stuff, because there is something to that of like looking. I started putting airplanes in front of my eyes when it was time to like go for our own aircraft. And, and then next thing you know, the, I think it's going to be here on, on Monday of this next week, our, our plane's coming. Because you, you won't attain what you don't see. I watch big churches. If you watch little things, you'll, you'll be little. You'll believe everything I believe, but you, you don't have the, the eyesight of what it looks. What does a big church look like? What does an excellent platform look like? 
What does excellent sound sound like? See, I went to Bishop David Oedepo's church in Nigeria so I could be in a 400,000 person meeting. What is, it, what is that crusade? What is that type of church? I, I, I knew it would do something on my insides in the spirit where like I see it and I'll have it. Whereas if I never saw it, it's like, oh, that's it. Wow, praise the Lord. That's crazy, man. But, but then if you get there and put your feet on the ground, so you, number one, you should have something in the ministry that you're pursuing. You shouldn't be um, happy with where you're at. It's like, like right now, where we're at for Sunday morning attendance is truly awesome. But it's six months away from being truly a failure. Where we'd be, why, why, why are we still? Because wherever you get to, you're then to increase. So then you should always be pushing. And why do I know all these guys in the ministry? Because I found who's the best at healing. Who's the best at church growth? Who's the best at evangelistic crusades? Who gets the most blind people healed? I want to be in their meeting. I want to have what they have. And I, and I want to do what they do. Be followers of them. How I many know God doesn't need a man to give it to you? God can give it to you all by himself. No, God gave the Bible, and the Bible says, Be followers of them. Be ye followers of them, who by faith and patience have obtained the promises of God. Find people who have manifested the thing you're believing for and follow them. Then Paul told Timothy, Timothy, follow the pattern of right living that you learned from me. Find that scripture specifically for me. Follow the pattern of right living that you learned from me. Second Timothy, first Timothy. What? 119? 113. 2 Timothy 1.13. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching that you learned from me. A pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Right living and right teaching. Follow the pattern. People show you pattern. There's a pattern. You know, it's like, like people ask me, like when you're in revival, what do you like? What's your daily routine? Because there's a pattern. There's a right pattern. And there's a wrong pattern. There's a way to pattern. And you are going to pattern your life after somebody. That's why there's kids living in the Arctic Circle in Alaska that have backwards Yankees hats on. They've never been out of the Arctic Circle. But they're patterning their life after somebody they saw on TV. You're going to do it. It's not a matter of saying, well, I'm going to start. You already are patterning your life after somebody. So who are you? Why not, why not make it a deliberate thing instead of an accidental thing? You know, I'm going to do what that guy does. And not just, yeah, there's great people to pattern yourself after diet-wise and physical activity-wise. And also, but physical exercise has little profit. But godliness is profitable unto all things. So if there's anything that you want to pick a leader and say, I want what he has. Now, I'll tell you this. I won't follow any ministers that are um, on marriage three or... Their kids don't serve the Lord. I'm talking like all of them don't serve the Lord. You know why? Because there's something in their pattern that they might be good preachers and they might have miracles, but somehow if I pick up how they conduct themselves, it leads to a bad marriage and, and, and bad children. So I'm careful about who I follow, not just what they preach. There's a lot of people that get excited about miracles, but a lot of the guys that have miracles, their lives are train wrecks. Not all of them, not most of them, but many. 
So I don't want a miracle ministry at the expense. You know, I, I'm not going to name names, but there, there's, there's like, even now, the guy's ministry is, you know, a tenth of what it used to be. But a guy that had a major ministry blew his marriage, problems with children. Why? Because he's, he was great in the pulpit. And then he was awful out of the pulpit. You can't talk to your wife the same way you talk to a devil. You got to watch that. You know, you're in a meeting. You come out of her in Jesus' name. Then come back. Make me a coffee. You, you, you can't. So if you pick that up, if you follow guys that mistreat their staff and are running through staff all the time, then you're going to pick that up. You follow an alcoholic and loose living guy, you'll pick that up. Next thing you know, you got five beaded bracelets on your one arm and, and you know, then a deep plunging V-neck with three buttons undone on your dress shirt. Pattern. So pattern, not just after right teaching, but after people who live away. I like Kenneth Hagin Sr. Married 70 years, children Christians. You know, I like that. So if I, I like Lester Sumrall. His sons all served the Lord while he was alive. And same marriage. No, no, no ups and downs. So you learn a way to live under him that doesn't just translate into the pulpit. It translates into everyday life. So you're not winning other people's kids to Christ while your own go to hell. There's a way where you can have the whole thing. And I pray, we've, re- we've role modeled that for you. Our marriage is great. Camila loves us and serves the Lord. You can have both things. A preacher texted me yesterday, younger guy. He said, you've changed the way now that I'm married and I'm, I'm going to have kids soon. He said, I, 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 I learned from you how to treat a child because he's from a culture where the man minister, you don't talk to your kids. You know, daddy's preaching, daddy's fasting today. You do that, you're going to screw your family up. You don't give all your energy to other people and none to your family. You don't give 90% to other people and none to your family. You give 100% to the people and 100% to your family. You give all of you to everybody all the time. Well, then when do you rest? At night. You'll get tired, go to sleep, wake up, and then give all yourself away. It's not rocket science. Your people ask me, when do you ever rest, Brother Jonathan? Every night. <laughs> you don't have to go away into the woods. Just close your eyes and lay on a flat surface. Let nature take its course. And what you said earlier is true because, like, a lot of people, I feel like a lot of people think going to services is a waste of time. Because they're not going to get one-on-one. On one, and and you preaching. have to pay, and you're not getting any money. Yep, and then they're not going to get a one-on-one interaction with whoever's preaching. Like, that's where the answer's going to be. I can honestly say, in 15 years of knowing Pastor Jonathan, correct me if I'm wrong, I've probably only asked him three spiritual questions in 15 years. Because he says everything he needs to say when he's preaching. It would be an idi- I would be an idiot to not receive what I need from him while he's preaching. So that's why when we're in the car, we're just talking about baseball, Xbox, baseball, <laughs> hanging out. Because that's, and like, you know, I get it now that I'm preaching. After you're done preaching, you have nothing else to say. I've said, yeah, after two and a <laughs> half hours, I've said everything <laughs> like, I have to say. You could ask any question. I'll just be like, go figure it out yourself. Because I already, it's already been said. Yeah, he, he's right. And, and, and that's where you receive from somebody. And the other thing, what you said is true. People don't. go to meetings because it's an expense and they think, well, there's going to be 4,000 people there. I won't get to meet him. But you may get to meet him. You know how? If you come there hungry for what he has. He says, who is this young man? Bring him up to me. The Lord shows me this, this, and this. That's better than getting to go up to the office because now they know you by the Spirit. And you know... uh, uh I went to go see Bishop David Oyedepo in New York City. 3,500 people were there. 
I was a nobody's nobody. It's 20, 2013 or 14. And, and next thing I know, I'm asked to come up on the platform and then asked to go into the green room. Tell me about your ministry. I saw you while I was preaching. He, he saw, he saw, those guys see abnormal people. And, and, and they'll, they'll meet you by the anointing. So that's how to meet. Go to the meeting with a hunger to receive what's in that man's spirit. Bishop Oedipo um, encounter with Kenneth Hagin. So Bishop Oedipo flew from Nigeria to um, come to um, Rema for one of the conferences. He sat in the balcony. But whilst Kenneth Hagin was preaching, he had an encounter with the Lord. He said, all of a sudden, Kenneth Hagin's skin started glowing. And the power of God hit him. He started weeping. And the Lord said to him, that from today, I give you Kenneth Hagin's mantle. And we all can see the proof in his ministry of what, you know, with the word of faith that he's preaching in, in Africa and what God has used him to build. So it was in the meeting. He never met Kenneth Hagin, but he had an encounter. And there were people that were probably eating with Kenneth Hagin, talking to him, shaking hands, and they did not receive anything from Kenneth Hagin. Because they wanted a handshake and a talk and a meal. The, the thing that's valuable is what's in the person's spirit and, and the time they're most giving out what's in their spirit is in the pulpit. They're not, you know, you, you'll finish preaching after two hours. I'll have somebody come up to me. I'd really like to learn from you. <laughs> Clean the wax out of your ears. And I, I've heard you say they're pulling on the anointing. And so, like, there's some services where people go there and they're listening, but then there's other services where there's individuals that are quite literally pulling and drawing yeah. from you. And Lester Semerall said, these things aren't uh, taught, they're caught. And so, if you're going to catch something, you have to be in close proximity to that individual. That's right. So, that's why these things are, are spiritual. But even with the, the preaching element, uh, you know, you could feel that, right? Yes, absolutely. And, and, and again, and Jay, Pastor Jay emphasized this great. It's not just going to meetings. Because there's people that, you know, like I said, the two ditches. People that are believing God in their living room and never go anywhere. Then you got people, they run to every conference, but they're not there to receive anything. They're there with business cards and their vision and to meet other people. Yeah. Go there to receive of the Spirit. Because you can, be, you can go to meetings and actually hurt yourself. By being grating to the preacher. Yeah. You know, that guy's been praying. Go, give people prophetic words out in the lobby and stuff. Because you saw when, when Bishop Dagg was here. And you see Dr. Rodney. I mean, if you watch Dr. Rodney the first night I got to Tampa, Tuesday night. He was, you know, there, there were people sitting down. Oh, you're sitting down? You, have you just come here for your yearly trip to the river? To show that you've been here? If you come there and you're not pulling on the guy, you saw Bishop Dag do it here at what no I have seen. Walking the certain ministers. What's your name? How big's your church? I bet it's smaller than that, actually. Because <laughs> you'll hear it. You're, you're, you're just sitting there kind of, you know, bored. Just leave. Because you, you'll undo yourself. So it's not just going to meetings. It's going with, I want what's in his spirit that makes him him. And I'm looking for an impartation of that. Amen. Amen. So that was number 14? No, 12. Be a church person. Sorry, 14. Be a church person. You're right. 15. 2 Timothy 2.24. Welcome, everybody, from Revival Today Church. I'm spending a little time with the Bible College students, but it's always nice to eavesdrop on a conversation, and we will pray at the end. And I'm sure you're getting something out of this, too. 2 Timothy 2.24. 
A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be, uh, and be patient with difficult people. A servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome. Now, I've rebuked the fire out of people, and so did Jesus. So it's not, you can't just take one verse and make it the whole thing. Because Jesus lit people up, particularly religious people. When I was coming into the Christmas service last year, I guess some lady brought an um, emotional support dog or something. And we can't have, that's not my building. And you can't, you can't have a dog on the turf. That's their rules. So, you know, security told them they couldn't come. For once, I came early to a meeting. I actually just had landed from New Mexico for the, the Christmas Eve meeting or whenever it was. And I thought, you know what? I'll go through the front entrance and shake hands. It's Christmas time. First lady, as I'm getting out of the car. <laughs> Excuse me. Your security said I'm not allowed to bring a, a dog into the meeting. You don't know no hello, nothing. I said, well, if they said it, I, I said, they, they run that stuff, so they, they would know. So you're, you're telling me that I can't come into the meeting with my dog. I said, well, if that's the rules... I, I guess, I, I, guess uh, I said, you have to remember this is not our auditorium. So you're taking the side of, and then when she hit that point, like, first of all, you have to be demon-possessed to talk like that on Christmas Eve at church. <laughs> you came to Christmas Eve to fight? I said, lady, you can take your stupid dog and your stupid friend, and I hope I never see you or anybody in your family for the rest of my life. <laughs> then there's another family coming in Christmas. Hello, I'm Pastor Jonathan. Nice to <laughs> That lady got saved the week after, didn't she? <laughs> yeah, because the lady that was yelling, it wasn't even her dog. And she didn't even know the lady. She's a, she's a demon. She comes to cause problems. So I'm not saying you have to get trampled on. I, I mean, you see me throw people out of services. You know, I put that one clip because I knew it would go viral because you got all this church hurt stuff going on now. I'm giving an altar call in Louisville, Kentucky. The lady said, this man's not of the Holy Spirit. Yelling from the back. You're, that's, a, that's a devil doing that at the altar. I said, I said, switch to decaf. She kept yelling. I said, get out of here. Get your things and get out of here. Ushers, throw her out. Well, the ushers didn't throw her out. They started like put their hand on her shoulder, talking to her. Kick her out of the building. And I yelled like that. So I'm not saying you can't have authority. But what did I just tell you? Two stories? I think that's it for this year. And I've preached 300 and some times this year. Or close to, what, what am I at, Rachel? DaCosta. she alive and well? How much have I preached this year? Roughly. But to what? 300 yet or just under 300? Probably over 250 for sure. Yeah, over two, between 250 and 300. And I'm telling you about two incidents of throwing people out. Nobody got thrown out last week. I'm not... I haven't had negative personal interactions. In fact, all the interactions I'm telling you about were in public. I'm not going to congregants' homes. I heard you've been drinking. You know, at this church, we expect people. No, you've heard me. Now, if you're in leadership, you'd get fired. I'm not going around correcting everybody's life. You'll never have anything but a small church if you think your job as a pastor is to correct everybody's life. Preach against trick or treating because you know two families trick or treat with their kids. You're, gonna, you're not going to have a you're not going to catch Joel Osteen or John Hagee doing that. <laughs> Certain families that call themselves Christians that have their kids dressed up as Barbie. They just want the candy. That's why. Yeah, the preaching against trick or treating is just a scam, so you get all the candy for yourself. <laughs> um, and I'm not for trick. We've ne I've never trick or treated in my life, mostly because I'm not six. 
But even as a kid, I didn't. Camila doesn't. Camila didn't want to. Adalis didn't trick or treat. She was out killing animals with crossbows. <laughs> and uh, if you meddle in people's lives as a pastor, can you believe she's doing that? I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna address it. Don't do that. Preach the word. Let the word deal with people, and let the Holy Spirit deal with people. When we first started this church, it's, I think it's died down some. There were so many people smoking at the outside of our church, here and at the dome, probably for over a year. There were so many people smoking outside when we'd finished preaching. It looked like the start of the Indy 500. There was just like smoke everywhere. Everybody's smoking, walking by people. That was a great sermon, Reverend. Well, probably could have been a little better. I never said one thing. Now, you're going to smoke. You know, it's the temple of the Holy Ghost. You just heard me preach for two hours. I'm not going to. People flee. This is a good thing to spend time on. Is it the last one I have anyway? Yeah, I I only got two more. So the point on this one is you you cannot be a drama king or a drama queen and be in the ministry or have have a a substantial ministry. I, I texted a Dallas recently. And I said, thank you for being my wife. If I had other people's wives, Revival Today Church would never be go past 120 people, 80 people, 140 tops, because the wife is a drama queen. There's pastor's wives they will talk to a woman in the congregation about another woman. You know, she's doing that. And I mean, you can't do that. You can't do that anymore. Then as a father or a mother, you pull two of your kids aside. That kid's, you know, your brother's an idiot. I mean, you can do that. You're going to mess the family up. I heard Pastor Matthew Eshimaloa talk about what it means to be a spiritual father, and it goes with pastoring too, because I never could understand why Pastor Rodney would like be kind to certain people. Like, that guy's a moron. And I heard Pastor Matthew Eshimaloa said, a father is kind to all his children, from the one who's the valedictorian to the one who still stools himself. Or That's British for poop yourself. You got one kid that gets C minuses and is kind of a dummy, and you got another kid that's lighting the world on fire, unless you're in uh, your family where every kid's a a standout. Um, But you love them all. And then that that helped me to understand Pastor Rodney, that he is actually like a proper leader, and I had work to do. Well, then that helped me as a pastor. Because your kids, so I've been told, you have things they do that disappoint you. You wish they'd do it better. You don't, they're your child, though. You love them. You're not in their business all the time. You can't be like that as a minister in people's business, direct messaging people about, can't believe you would go trick-or-treating. That's can't. what a cult is. Yeah, that is a cult. You don't meddle. Do all of your correction from the pulpit generally out of the Bible. Now, yes, Paul is an apostle, corrected a man that was sleeping with his father's wife. <laughs> so if I'm, there are exceptions, but rare exceptions. That's mentioned, that kind of stuff's mentioned a couple of times in the epistles. The epistles are not just letters of, to the church in Corinth. Tell Gary, I, sh- I don't ever want to see his unbelieving face again. <laughs> he mentions a few people, but he's preaching, he's teaching about Christ and the in Christ revelation and all that stuff. Teach and preach the word. Don't meddle in people's affairs. And I'm going to tell you, people, I don't understand this because personally I don't have this. But there's very few people that can go into leadership without becoming an abusive a-hole in church. 
You put somebody in charge of seating, they're the seating a-hole. You put somebody in charge of security, they're the security a-hole. There's no other word for it. They turn into jerks, you know, and, and they repel people. Don't be like that as a leader. That's why Paul told Timothy, you're, you're a leader? Patiently rebuke, exhort, or correct. Uh, put it up again. 2 Timothy 2.24. And then I'll even do 2.25. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel. You're not an argumentative person. My, my, my reels that I make every day are not, I can't believe Christians are, would go out trick-or-treating. I, uh, have, how many of you have heard that this is going on? How many of you heard this pastor said this about me? We had a, I told you on Sunday, we had an associate pastor. Text one of our members, your pastor's never going to um, build that church. From a full gospel church in Pittsburgh, I know the people. They haven't heard one word from me. I didn't mention them by name. I, I was making an example and said it generally. I'm, I don't care. I'm not quarreling. They're too small. Any more than when, I, when I'm walking down the street in my neighborhood and a dog starts barking. I go, what? What are you on? You think you? No, he's a dog. I'm not getting it. Just because somebody's barking, I don't have to respond. Did you hear they said this about you? Let them say. Let everybody talk. Insults are differences of opinion harshly expressed. And people are welcome. This is not Pakistan or the West Bank. People are allowed to speak without being stoned to death. So everybody doesn't like me? I get it. A majority of people may not like me. That's fine. Get it out of your head that if everyone knew you and you could explain yourself, you could have a relationship with everybody. There, never take the time to explain yourself to someone committed to misunderstanding you. Never take the time to explain yourself to somebody committed to misunderstanding you. A lady wrote, I put that picture of us flying back from Tampa, so everybody would know I was going to be in Pittsburgh. And so, so any new partners we have know I use jets. So if they don't want to respond, or they don't want to give based on that, they can leave. And a lady writes, if you like planes so much, why don't you become the pilot? Which I don't even understand the logic. <laughs> Let me find it on my phone. Are they slowing the iPhones down so you have to buy the new one? Feels like it. I don't want to make any accusations. You know, nice post. Great week with Rodney Howard Brown at the Fall Ministers and Leaders Conference. Headed home with my Revival Today family on a Falcon. Notice I use the word family instead of staff. I hate that. It's like people just want people to know they have a staff. <laughs> they have a staff. They're not staff to me. They're, you know, family, co-laborers in the gospel. Find it. Come on with this service. Um, you love it so much, why don't you become a pilot of this airplane? I wrote back, guess what? I took your advice, in all caps, and just became pilot of this airplane. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> so what I'm saying is that, and that's not quarrelsome, that's just goofing around. If she wrote something back, I'm, I'm not going back and forth with her a second time. If you do that, don't go back and forth with people specifically on Facebook as a pastor. There's pastors, their church is never going to grow because they've argued with everybody in the county about Trump and Biden. And, and, and don't do that. 
If you want to post something about Trump, post it. If you want to debate every single commenter, no one's going to come to your church. Don't, assert, 2 Timothy 2.24, a servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome. That means he can't be a drama queen or a drama king, but must be kind to everybody. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. 25, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they'll learn the truth. That has to be your overarching um, thing. And I'm not as much as, I am a very confrontational person and I do it in my preaching. I confront things in my preaching. I'm not confronting people. Even Joe Biden. I'm not, I hate Joe Biden. He doesn't know where he is. There's people that are holdovers from another administration running the whole country, and they're using him as just a front man. What are you mad at him for? He's walking around somewhere in a soggy diaper, eating jello. Too far? Not far enough. You know what I mean? What, 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 what different? I'm not, I'm not spending my life arguing and trying to get Biden people to not like Biden. It's not my. Th- I'm not going to be a tool of the Republican Party, just like I'm one of the Democrat Party. No, I'm, I'm a preacher of the word. I preach the word. Someone's welcome to go out into the parking lot. I'm telling you, if I preached against drink, drinking alcohol and getting drunk, if I preached on that for an hour and a half, and I went out in the parking lot on the way to my car, and three of our church members had a bottle of whiskey drinking it, they'd never hear a word about it from me. I'd say, thanks for coming today. Love you guys. You just heard, you heard my thoughts. You're free to disobey, just like people are free to disobey God and go to hell. I've said it. God said everything he has to say. People can do what they want. Is God running around correcting everybody? Hey, hey, hey. hey, 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 hey. No. He said everything he had. I've said before you life and death. Oh, that you would choose life that you and your family might live. Up to you. I've said everything I have to say. You're free to do whatever you want. I have the same mentality as God. Not chasing people around. Hey, you should have more respect than that to drink on church property. Yes, they should have more respect than that to drink. But they don't. So hopefully the Holy Spirit... What, uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Timothy 2, 26, 25? Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. So there's people that oppose the truth. Don't let it catch you off guard. Perhaps God will change their hearts. Who changes their hearts? The sower sows the word, but the seed of the word is the thing. You, you, who, who have you ever met in life that said, I used to drink, but then my pastor kept telling me I shouldn't drink, so I stopped. You know what he the Holy Spirit delivered. I used to smoke marijuana all the time, but then the pastor kept um, direct messaging me on Instagram saying, I can't believe you would post something like that on Instagram. And so I stopped. No, they'll just not, they'll avoid you. Actually, you'll just produce people that are phony, that around you. I'm actually glad. I would rather somebody smoke in my face than smoke by, and come in a suit and tie with a big Bible. You know what I mean? At least you're real. Perhaps God will change them. That's up to him. I said everything I have to say out of the word. I'm going home to spend time with my wife. and I'm not running around trying to get people to, to, to change their behavior. The Bible is not behavior modification. It's old, sinful people being put to death, mortifying the deeds of the flesh, and all things being made new. Jesus does that. You're preaching Christ and the word and the power of the Holy Ghost. You can't. Okay, you're going to see, the bigger your ministry gets, the more you're going to see people doing the exact opposite of what, you, of what you've instructed. Paul told Timothy that. It's been going on for 2,000 years. 
Don't feel, it shouldn't even make you lose a moment's sleep. Where do you see God crying because Adam and Eve had to leave the garden because they disobeyed? You're never going to see it. Where do you see Jesus crying about Judas? Three and a half years he was my disciple. Can you believe he would go betray me? Now they're going to kill me because he, he sold me out. They told me that you got 30 pieces of silver. Can you believe it? No. Hey, here's some bread and marinara sauce. Whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. That's what people do. He knows people's hearts. He didn't get moved when they threw him a parade on Palm Sunday. And he didn't get moved when they turned on him. Father, don't, don't hold it to their charge. For they, they don't know what they do. Don't, let, don't be a prisoner of people's opinion. Never keep the key to your happiness in somebody else's pocket. Can you believe that they had their daughter at the prom? Look at the picture they posted. The skirt's barely below her, her bum. She's only 15. That's what you want to wrap your life up in? You're weird. Correcting people's individual behavior. She posted pictures of their daughter in a bikini, and she's wearing a bikini. She's 48 years old. I'd rather be the 48-year-old in the bikini than the person watching the photos talking about it. You also have problems. She has immorality problems, and you're a sociopath. I don't care. When I say I don't care, I say that in a loving way that I don't care. People, If people are out of line, the only person that can bring them back is God. And the only way that can happen is through me preaching the word. So I do that as hard as I can and the best I can. But outside of that, nobody's getting a visit from me. You really think it's wise for your daughter to be dating that guy? I don't even think I looked at his social media. I don't even think he's a Christian. Okay, so what's going to happen then? Because it's not like the daughter's on fire for God and just doesn't know this guy, doesn't know the Lord. There's de- She's not saved. That's why she has an attraction to sin. And the parents are lukewarm, which is why they don't care. You don't fix that with a conversation. They just feel scolded. And when people feel scolded, they leave. The only chance of them getting right with God is having their butt. You know what I'll say? Hopefully, Father, let them keep coming the next Sunday. And nothing tailored in, in the sermon about it. What was, what was tailored in my sermon on Sunday to anybody? I preached on joy. Jumped around on chairs like a monkey. <laughs> and preached and released the anointing. You know what, though? Then in that presence, somebody said, you know what? I mean, why should anyone have come to the altar to get saved in that meeting? But when the anointing is loose, people get attracted to Jesus. And they lose the appetite for sin. That's how you get people corrected. There's people, because we've been pastoring for almost two years now, and it's enough time. There's people that left the church that I almost went into auto mode of calling them, asking them what the problem because I didn't have any bad interaction with them. I just come and preach and leave. Talk to a few people after the service, but I'm not like, how would you even have a bad interaction with me? So, okay, hey, heard you're not at the church anymore. What happened? We try to sort it out. And when I got ready to do it, I just didn't feel in my spirit to do it. I said, no, just leave it. So what do you do when people oppose the truth? A, I wouldn't deal with them personally. And B, don't curse them. Don't say, don't be a cult leader. If people leave this church, they're gonna, they got healed in this church. They're going to find out when they leave this anointing that that sickness, will, hey, easy witch doctor. People who leave, they're free to leave with your blessing. We've decided to go to another church. God bless you. Have fun at that church. And not sarcastic. Have fun. 
Don't take things personally. That's, again, what was the first thing we dealt with? Insecurity. That's insecurity. You feel rejected. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. You're not their Savior. So then... I made up my mind, anybody that leaves this church, I'm not cursing. I'm not saying anything curse-ish from the pul- pulpit. Who left this church and their lives unravel. No, 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 no. Just preach the word. How much time? Let me ask you a question. Whether you like him or not. Largest church in North America, Joel Osteen. How much time in his sermons are spent defending himself from other people's accusations? And he has plenty. How much time is spent making comments about how he can't believe certain people in the church are acting. None. He just does his message and has ministry. And what you see on TV is not the whole church service. There's a part for TV and there's, there's plenty of ministry and, and all that. So if you want to be a small pastor, meddle in people's affairs. Preach sermons tailored in your soul to another person to try to correct them and you'll just run them out of the church. So what I decided is when people leave, I'm, not, I'm keeping the bridge open. On my end, I'm not saying anything about them to anybody, to them, not direct messaging them. You know, I told a guy, and he, was, he's, he comes to church regularly, but there was three weeks he wasn't in church. And I saw him, and I said, listen, don't take me, tell, me not asking you why you weren't in church as me not caring that you're not in church. I said, if I, the only reason I'm not bringing it up is if I were you, I would feel awkward if the pastor said, I haven't seen you in church for three weeks. So I said, I'm not ever going to do it. You're free to come. I mean, what more could I say to let people know that I want them in church every Sunday? You've heard me. So if you, if you don't come, it, I don't need to call you and tell you I'd like you to be there. I told, I'd like the whole city of Pittsburgh in my church every Sunday and outlying cities and surrounding counties and states. I would like for every human being that it's humanly possible for them to get to my church on Sunday to be in, in church and we'll figure out parking and all that. So everybody knows that. So if you're not there, do I need to go, hey, didn't see you in church on Sunday. All you're doing is making them feel bad. So he said, no, I actually appreciate that you don't do that. I will be there this Sunday. And he said, uh, if you hounded me, I probably wouldn't have come back. Well, he's there all the time now. Then another guy that left. It had nothing to do with me. He left for a while. Then he's back in church because I never said any. He feels welcome. People go through things. So when they're on a down swing, you don't have to. I'm just telling you how people are. When they're on a downswing, just leave them alone. Let the Holy Spirit, perhaps God will change their hearts. Not everyone does. This isn't a story about how everybody left came back, but this guy came back. Now, I know people, if you've been gone a long time, then you come back, you probably think, oh, I wonder. Plus, I seem mean. I have a mean face. I speak in a mean tone of voice. People probably think I don't like them, right? So I went right over to them. I said, man, I'm glad to see you here. This church is much better with you here than without you here. He said, thanks. It was back again. It's been back ever since. So keep the door open. Don't be so insecure that everyone that leaves you, it's like a breakup with a girlfriend. Relax. Some pastors, everybody leaves their church, you'd think they dated. You believe that? I'm on their Instagram. You know where they're going now. They're like, hey, easy, psycho. Don't be a drama king. Uh, from the women's per- point of view, the stuff I talked to you about with that, what could you add to the ladies? Um, well, on the heels of what you were saying, I'll just reiterate it. The fact that this is for your betterment too, the way we do it, is because we allow the Holy Spirit to do the heavy lifting. If you're doing it in your own strength and power, you're going to get worn out really quickly. 
And that that I've seen as kind of like the common thread among the people who try to be in everybody's situation and try to be God or the Holy Spirit for these people. Try to remind them to be there on Sunday. Try to, you know, uh, uh, point out the flaws and whatever. That's that's truly the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we pride ourselves in relying solely on him to, to lead us and guide us and to instruct our people because we're not going to be able to do it. And, and if you start that, if you, if you are meddling in everybody's uh, affairs and, and everything everybody's doing, you cultivate an atmosphere of leeches that, that quite literally have to feed on like your advice, your commentary and nobody else's. Yeah, you, it's like you, it's you, you, you take the place of the Holy Spirit, which is not something you should aspire to do. And that's why you're, you're going to, you, you do, you end up with what she said. You end up with a bunch of permanent toddlers. What do you, where do you think I should work? I'm thinking between these two, that's not my decision. You know, I had a, a <laughs> one of the top Soccer players in the world from England write me, should I re-sign with my team? Which if I said the team, everybody would know it. Or should I sign with this other team that offered me a contract? First of all, I didn't even know he was following me. So it, it popped up in my thing one time. And I looked, he had written me like four times and I never wrote him back. Talking about someone with like millions of followers. You know what I wrote to him? First of all, I felt like writing. I've played football manager in FIFA. I've been training my whole life to answer this question. I'll tell you what I did with your career. Um, I, I, I wrote him about two paragraphs about how to hear the voice of God. One decision will give you peace. One, one you'll tense up, go with your peace. And if you'll learn to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit, you'll be a success your whole life. So it's now it's in his court. Oh, if I were you, I would sign with, with, um, Barcelona. What the heck do I know? Then Barcelona could, could have a nuclear attack the next week. And then he's upset because all his skin's off and it's my fault. <laughs> Just throwing out ideas of what could happen. <laughs> so you, you want to point people to the Word and to the Holy Spirit and to their relationship with God and, and do that by preaching, not meddling. And then I, I think i got one left, which would be number what? 16. 16. Stay excited. That's a good one to close out on. In life, stay excited. It's sad to see so many preachers, they have no joy. They're miserable. They're miserable in the pulpit. They're miserable when you meet them after the pulpit. What did you do last night, Adas? Last night, I killed a buck. Yeah. Thank you. Do you, do you like doing that? Yes, I do. Do, think, do things you like. Have something you do that you enjoy. That's not unspiritual to go hunting. Ask uh, Jacob and Esau. My dad would fly fish up until it was time to go to the pulpit. He'd wear a suit to preach, put waders on, and fly fish up until it was time to get into his <laughs> van to go preach when he'd be preaching upstate New York and stuff. Cleared his mind, got ready to preach. Think about what he's going to say. Just, just be quiet before the Lord in a stream. The, I'm sure the sound of the bubbling brook was peaceful too. Have something you enjoy doing. T.L. Osborne told Jerry Savelle, surround yourself in your house with things that put you that put you in a good mood. That's why Jerry Savelle now has that whole garage full of classic cars. T.L. Osborne, the great missionary evangelist, collected classic cars. Said having them in the garage, it just made him happy. 
it healed Jerry Savelle actually being in that garage. Because it gave that, him that's how he got his mind back after the, after the stroke is is remembering the names of the cars and all that. Make your house an atmosphere that brings you. you should, there should be no black and white photos up of somebody that died when they were eleven. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying throw all the pictures away. I'm saying don't put them someplace where it can just snap you out of a good mood every single day of your life. Have happy things up on the wall. Things that make you joy. Pictures of you and your family at times where you had the best day of your life. Stay excited about your own ministry. Many people, they're not even, no one needs to believe in your ministry more than you. You need to believe in your evangelistic ministry. You need to believe that your church is a great church. Oh, we just have a small church. You know. No, you shouldn't talk like that. We have a great church. Tell you them know? about St. Mary. You, you tell, I don't know the story. <laughs> we were in this teeny little town in St. Mary's, West Virginia. And I mean teeny, teeny, tiny. And the only place to stay was like a bed and breakfast on the lake, right? There was like spiders everywhere. I remember I okay, put all that anyway, stuff out of my mind. So we're, we're laying in bed and we have like direct TV because it's the only thing. And we put it on our dish and um, we put it on some, some what is it, TBN? Was that the, the cornerstone? I, I have, no, have no memory Okay, of it was like cornerstone. So we're just sitting in bed and it was the worst program that we had ever seen like i'm not kidding you this guy took his flip phone and started recording his but, his television by the way if program. you do remember the name of the program don't say it i'm not right, it, it's just some nobody uh but anyways we were like just sitting there making fun of, fun of this guy and just pointing out all the flaws and then all of a sudden jonathan got oh, like yeah. very quiet and then i looked i was like what what's going on he's like he believes in himself he believes in the message enough to put it out in 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 into the world and actually get TV time. What's our excuse? Yeah, I'm not on. Beck, I wasn't on TV. And we just so sat not, there like sad. And let me tell you, and that's a, that's a turning point. And that's that's a turning point you need to make when you're young. Is you're mocking all these people that are on TV. Yeah. Where are you? Somebody was mocking Rodney Hard Brown online and saying, you know, and he said, until you've done what I've done, don't criticize what to do. He said, well, do I get a plane too? When Rodney Howard was born, did a plane then come out next out of his mother's womb? He didn't have a plane either. All these people started from scratch. So yeah, this guy had crappy camera quality, crappy audio, but he's doing what he has to do to get his message out. And as much as I think I'm better than him and believe in my message, he's taking more steps than me. And I thought, yeah, and it was shortly after that we started going on TV. That summer, we bought our first camera. Yep. And she filmed it, and I said, I'm, I'm not going to just be a professional mocker of people. While I'm doing nothing, I'm, I'm going to do something and mock people no. <laughs> so that I can mock them on television. <laughs> Praise God. Before I pray for everybody, and I'm very thankful for everybody that came from the church to sit on, but I've had next to no time with the Bible college students. They're only here for two years, and two years goes like this. So we wanted to take three days and help them. Uh, if you're here, watching online, I would like you to join us for Dag Haywood Mills, who's going to be here this coming week, beginning Tuesday night, Breakthrough in Ministry. Don't miss it. November 7th through the 10th. It's free, but you need to register. rtcregister.com. Four days of impartation, 
to impact your generation. That's not a catchy byline. That's the, exactly what it is. You will come out of that meeting with, with everything you're believing for and have an explosive final 60 days of this year. Everyone that sows a seed of any size today, I'm going to send you Bishop David Oedepo's book, Exploits in Ministry. This is a life-changing book. That's my way of saying thank you. Revivaltoday.com, and you click Give Now. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for your partnership. And then we have a ministry mentorship program that meets in an hour and three minutes online. So if you would like to join our ministry mentorship program, you have to be a minister. But it's free, and you can sign up for that uh, with the information they give you on the screen. RevivalToday.com slash RTMA. Secondly, or finally, if, if uh, you've enjoyed this, this is our Bible school, Revival Today Bible Institute. We have not graduated a class yet. We just started when the church started, and I would love for you, uh, actually sort of the summer after the church started, and the school's doing great, as you can see. Great students from mostly in America, but Australia, or else South Africa, and is that that's all? The kingdom of Hawaii. It is. It's a kingdom. Yeah, if you go to Hawaii, it's, it's on paper, it's part of America, but it's its own thing. Um, I would love to have you. Revival Today Bible Institute. If you feel a call of God in the ministry, you need to pursue the call in Bible school, and I would strongly recommend this one. If you're between the ages of 18 and 35, RevivalTodayBibleInstitute.com. Thank you for your giving. I want all the guys to read this before you graduate. Every hand lifted in your seat. Every hand lifted online. Thank you for all the nice comments you sent our way after yesterday's session. We have pastors watching from all over the world that this is helping. People don't talk about ministry. You know, it's like you got to be a preacher's kid to learn anything about ministry. They just tell you, like, pray, believe God. But there, there is an art to ministry, no question about it. And I've been studying that, that art for Two decades, not just the praying. and We're going to fast and pray for 21 days. There's things that aren't gained except through fasting and prayer and study of the Word. But then there's other things that are intangibles that go with that that you can learn from scratch for 40 years or you can just have somebody tell you. Father, I thank you for all of the men and women who are here today. I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless your lives in the name of Jesus. I bless everything that pertains to you and your family in Jesus' name. I command there to be a turnaround in every applicable situation for every man and woman that's here in your family, in your children, in your health. As this is a week of divine surprises, receive a divine surprise from heaven like Adonis did in the woods yesterday. In Jesus' name, may God send surprises your way. May the last 60 days, Father, we consecrate these final two months of this calendar year to you. I pray that more would be done, as much as has been done in these last 10 months, that more would be done in the next two months than in the last 10 months put together. In Jesus' name, thank you for an explosive, accelerated, final end of this year. In Jesus' name. I thank you for it. 
Let the anointing and tangible blessing of God rest on every life visibly. Every man and woman, when you emerge from this place, there'd be a noticeable change in every area of your life. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Now, everybody that is not in Revival Today Bible Institute, you're dismissed. Everybody that is, you will shortly be dismissed because I'm sure you have work and everything, and this ends at one. Thank you for coming today. Uh, give all our, and you can stay if you're from the church, but you don't have to stay. Give all our church people a great hand clap, our family. We love you. God bless you. Questions? Go ahead. Uh, microphone. Do we have another one? Yeah. So explain to me, if you would, the uh, the lost sheep. So that's not a congregate member. You, you're saying not to just run after people that are backsliding. No, I would say the lost, how I would say the parable of the lost sheep is what we do every Saturday. Those are lost people. Yes, so if you're going to make the argument that lost sheep means sheep that got out of the fold, yeah, the Bible says uh, if you're able to, restore such a one. I'm not saying, I'm sorry you left my church so you're free to go to hell. I said the, the opposite of that. What I'm saying is, you cannot restore people in the soul. Excuse me, you haven't been... Co- Who have you ever heard say, you know, I, don't, I stopped going to church, but then the pastor kept having the staff call and ask where I was at, so then I've been faithful to church ever since. It has to take place. Do it in prayer. If you feel burdened for someone or see them backsliding, you're going to have to deal with it in prayer. Direct messages and meddling is not going to do anything. Does that make sense? Yes. So you, it's not to not have a heart for people. Like, it's like the guy that left and came back. I'm glad. I'm super glad he's back. But what I'm telling you is he was able to come back. It had nothing to do with me tracking him down and asking him what the problem is. Now think of this. All the effort that would have been expended to bring him back, he came back anyway. And then in the meantime, we added 350 people to the church and started another church in Fort Worth. It takes 60% more church resources to bring someone who's left back than it does to reach a new person. So just keep going after new people, and you're going to lose. You're going to lose people. The parable of the sower. Some falls on hard ground. Some falls on shallow soil. Some uh, grows a little and then is wilted or when it faces any pressure. But then there's a fourth that produces a harvest. So Jesus lost people. Jesus lost. Where do you see Jesus run after? How did Jesus handle the rich young ruler? Sell everything you have and come follow me. I can't do that. Wait, um, you don't have to do it all at once. No. And Jesus watched him go and kept moving. So you're going to have people peel off. You're going to have a lot of people peel off. Jesus had a lot of people peel off. Paul had people peel off. Moses had people try to split his thing. Moses parted the Red Sea. I know pastors that had a couple in their congregation that could not get pregnant, gave them a word, told them the day the child would be born and what sex it would be, and they had the baby, and and they left the church angry five years later. And named the child after the pastor and had to go get the kid's name changed at five years old. So no one cares. Remember, always refer back to point one. You can, feed, you can feed two million people in the wilderness every day with food that rains from heaven, part the Red Sea and get water to come out from a rock, and they'll try, they'll try to take your thing from you. True. That's how it goes. Yep. You can open blind eyes and heal the entire sick of a village, and they'll nail you to a cross. Mm. That's people. So just know that going into it and don't let it bother you. Does that help? Yes. Go ahead. Uh, second row. 
Questions were great. Thanks for having quite You guys enjoyed this okay? Yes. I'm sorry I'm not around more, period. But when you don't see, I'm not home. This weekend, this was the first time I've been home for more than two days in 40 days, I think. So I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it's not like I, I don't want to see you and I'm skipping prayer, uh, playing jacks with some kids in an alley. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I really like what you said about uh, the story in Philadelphia, how you transitioned to kind of win the crowd over. Um, Suggestions for if you were, say, you're with youth like that or an older crowd trying to connect with them but not come off as, like, fake and disingenuine, but truly be able to make a connection, especially for somebody who's, like, middle-aged, that you're not quite young or older. How old are you, 30 what? 29. 29. You're fine. (laughs) Um, Let let me say this, too. Don't take every course equally seriously. U.S. history is there so you don't shut your church down like a moron the next time the World Economic Forum wants everybody to. You need to know the Constitution. And then English is an important subject. So you don't spell Israel, I-S-R-E-A-L. Israel. I tweeted something last week. If you're a Christian who claims to, ha- to love Israel, perhaps learn to spell it. <laughs> Don't call people to the altar, A-L-T-E-R. You know, you need an English class. Not you. Everybody needs one. So you don't, because otherwise you appear like a moron. So anyway, to answer your question, you know, Jesus said, when you go to court, don't worry about what to say for the Holy Spirit will give you what to say. There is an element of that that works where God will, will put in your mouth Great opening words. But what I'm saying is I'd give it thought. I wouldn't stammer around. I have, you know, with me saying every time I get the mic, not just on Sundays, but even in my evangelistic services, where I say, um, give Jesus a great big hand clap. You know, I stole that from David Oyedepo. How does he open a service? That's how he, you know, find how do big people open their service? I'd like to see how, what Joel Osteen does when he first gets the mic. He tells a joke. Immediately? First words? Oh, he just like greets the crowd and then how? literally. Goes yeah, but I'm saying I'd like joke. to hear how what what specifically he says. I'd listen to how, what big people do when they get the mic. I'd listen to what Billy Graham. I'd go back because I don't know. I should know. I'd go back on YouTube. What is, not not if they've cut it, but if they have a whole Billy Graham service. The the when he steps up, what was the first things he said? Like I know Bishop David Oyedepo because I, I listen to him all the time. Give Jesus a great big hand clap. Lift, lift your hands, and then I'll pray over the crowd, which I'll tell you some things not to do when you first get the mic. Don't start barking orders. Everybody pray in tongues. They don't, remember, they don't know you. They don't like you. You have to get people to like you before they'll, they'll, they'll reluctantly do what you say. Tell everybody to lay down. They'll, all right, whatever. But I wouldn't let my opening words be orders. Come on, lift your hands. Come on. This is supposed to be a Pentecostal church. That's a bad first impression. Um, how do you bridge the gap without being phony? It's like like the example I gave you. You know, I may not be able to help everyone here today, but there are many people, as we all know, in, in, in our country that are battling serious problems in their mind and with addiction and with family. If you're one of those people, I believe God sent me here today to help you. And I'm just throwing it, you know, whatever your thing is that day. I even want to talk to people about heaven. Because they don't care about eternity. They care about now. 
I'm not saying don't ever talk. I'm saying in, in opening remarks. But they care that they're sick. They care that their mom has cancer. And, and then in, in receiving the healing power, it turns them on. The, even Jesus. Jesus said to the blind man, now before I open your eyes, will you become a disciple of mine and repent of sin? He opened his eyes. Then the man loves Jesus. That makes sense? Help you? Brother Kofi? Who? Okay. That is how he starts. God bless you. It's so good to be with you. Positive. Yeah, God bless you. Those, those, those are, and be able to say it warmly. Don't rattle it off. God bless you. Good to be here with you. Because you're nervous. So you're, you're speaking faster probably than you think you're speaking. And you don't have to do it as slow as Joel. God bless you. you, you God bless you. So nice to be with you today. And you'll get no reaction in a lot of churches. It's not like everyone's going to clap. And, and, but then keep going positive. And then, and then go into I, I believe that we're going to have a day where many people that are here today that are battling things in their body, like cancer, that, that Jesus is going to heal you today, and we're going to leave out of here singing a new song. And it'll, it'll start lifting if you go like that. But if you start getting irritated that people aren't reacting and start barking orders and, you know... People don't love God anymore, and people claim to be Christians. They'll spend four hundred dollars at a football game. They won't come to church. It's over. Next, go ahead, Makana. We'll go front row and then go go back. Yeah, so it's kind of like a two-parted question with uh, preaching. Um, I just wanted to ask, like, what, like, what are some more tips you could give me to like win the crowd? And then I also wanted to see, like, like if you're preaching someplace and you could tell the crowd is like tight. And there's like it's like you're just preaching to a wall. Like every place you've been asked to preach your whole life. Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's just like it's bad to come out boring, which you're definitely not. It's also can be bad to come out like you're shot out of a cannon, because it's just it's like, why is the man yelling at me? Because they, if they come from a dead church, they've never even heard anybody raise their voice. So if you come out. And you do, and I did that for 12 years probably. Just came out like, I'm, I'm going to just blow this thing open if I have to do it physically. But it, if kind, kind measured comments at the beginning, before you start launching into the Holy Ghost and fire, goes a long way. And I'd say that's about it. Just like all those greetings that we, we talked about and kind way of speaking and your testimony can go a long way if you tell it right if you're not rattle off like some boring old thing you know my name's so-and-so when I was this age especially if you have a testimony where you were like you know if an angel appeared to you that helps people seem to be interested in that for some reason <laughs> then se secondly like if you like some of you you know you battled uh severe depression or thoughts of suicide or addiction God delivered you out of that and you and God did that for me and I I've uh, then I felt his call to, to tell about his power that's contained in this book called the Bible and see other people that are battling the same things delivered from it and I believe God's going to help a lot of people today that goes a long way you know what, what would you say to, in answer to Makana's question fasting and prayer yeah but he does. He I know. Does I, I I don't. I, I don't. He does I that joke. He, I, I, when he stands at the side, you can't even see him. He's like sure. two dimensional. So I don't think fa fasting is the problem. Yeah. Sometimes, um, when you're fasting and praying and stuff, 
and you get like real deep in the anointing, you almost have to like in the beginning tone it down a little because people aren't where you're at. So it's like, I'm not saying like get out, but I hate everything I'm telling you. I hate it. In a perfect world, you should just be able to come up, open your Bible, and people get excited that they're going to hear the Bible. Christians, but they, they're not. They don't care. They don't, they don't like you. They should be, you know, people should be like me in a lot of ways. You know, I, if I see it, how old are you now? 18. 18. Like if I see an 18-year-old getting up to preach that's called to preach, I do everything I can to encourage him with my face sitting forward on my seat because I know what it's like to be you. And um, I don't get it. I don't get why people don't give. I don't. You'd think you'd see somebody giving their life to the gospel at 18 instead of selling fentanyl or whatever else you could be doing, and they'd just bend over backwards to help you. That's what people should do. You shouldn't have to even, like, should be, shouldn't even have to mention anything, but it's time to receive the tithes, and everybody immediately kick in 10% of whatever their income was. So that, that's all that should have to be done, but that's not how it works. So you got to do the art of relating to people, which is why I absolutely hate preaching with an interpreter. I may never, of course, I always say this, then it happens, like I'm probably going to go to Russia. But I, I lose so many tools out of my arsenal when I preach with an interpreter. I, I, all my humor is gone because I, that guy's not funny. Anything that I say is going to go through his filter, which is an unfunny filter. And I can't make people laugh, and I hate that because I love making people laugh, and it's like a weapon I have, and I lose it when I'm with an interpreter. Plus, and you lose a lot. Next. Let's go front row. Zeph? So I've heard two sides to this, but if you feel called to be an evangelist, you know, it's second year, you don't have meetings booked or anything. Is it wrong to take like a pastoral position? I've heard that it's not wrong because you'll get like experience and stuff, but then I've heard that it's wrong from others because then you're like being faithless and like. Well, you never want to ask what's right or wrong. You want to ask what's best. So God has a, a, a will for your life, and you have to find what that specific, and it's not in the Bible. The specific will of God for your life is not in the Bible. There's no, there was nothing in the Bible for me to go preach in New Brunswick, Canada. It's not in here. So you have the general will of God for your life that's in the Bible, but then the specifics come from the leading of the Spirit, and you have to get that for yourself. So if it was not God's will for you to take a church, and you took one, it would be not best. And then if you find what's best, it's best and it's great. And you meet your, you meet right people and all that stuff. So you just follow the leading of your spirit. Anytime, like I told that soccer player, when you go to make a decision, if your spirit tenses up, don't do it. If you feel a peace about it, it's like, like just in you asking that question, I can tell you feel tense about becoming a pastor. And even though you don't have any meetings, Book, you feel completely relaxed about being an evangelist. True or false? Yeah, so then that's how you know. That's like me. Because I would even be listening to what I was telling people. I'm like, how? How are, what are you? Because like that, that telemarketing company I worked for, they moved me to the mortgage office. And the guy, he's not even a Christian. He goes, I know you're graduating, do you, but do you have like a full schedule of meetings booked? I didn't have any meetings booked. So I said, no, I don't have a full schedule booked. He went, why don't you just stay working here and I'll keep you on on salary and, and pay you while you get your ministry thing going. And um, he said, you can have off whatever days you need off. But then at least that way you have like an income. You know, imagine. And in the natural, that's like a dream come true. Some guy owns a business just going to pay you to not work. 
And I said, no, when I graduate, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into, into this full time. I know I have to. And as my brain's like, why? Because he's raising valid questions. How are you going to get paid? You know, you know, you know, things aren't going well when other people are concerned about you. (laughs) Hey, I'm not your dad, but I'm worried about how you're going to live. So, but I knew in my spirit, I needed to like go into it a hundred percent. And if I had something to fall back on, I I wouldn't do things the same. So um, that's me though. But then I want to say if somebody was going to go work a job. I want to say, no, you know, I didn't do that. That was my thing. So I would say, and, and again, you have no meetings booked. I also had uh, no meetings booked. If I were you, it would be like, when's our graduation? May what? May or April? April 28th? Okay, it'd be like if I, got, I would have got my first meetings booked like March 25th, maybe. So I was in the same boat as you. I had no meetings with six weeks to go to graduation, and I was nervous. And then I, you've heard me tell that story about that guy at the Brazilian church calling me out and telling me the Lord hasn't forgotten about me. So I would commit it to prayer and fasting. It opened things up. My dad's been fasting Monday every week since he took over that Bible school in Massachusetts. And he said, it's amazing how literally like every Monday something breaks loose. So I would make it a matter of fasting and prayer. I did, Lord, I know there's pastors praying for revival. Give them my name. Hook us up in the spirit. And and he did. You know, and, and, he, and it was in the spirit. I don't know. I, I honestly, like with a 357 to my head, I, could, I, couldn't, I can't tell you why they had me preach that youth camp in New Brunswick after I graduated. I don't even know who knew me there. I, I don't know. And I don't know. I, I know then the pastor had me preach the next Sunday at a different church because it was nearby and he heard I was the preacher. And then it went from there. Remember, you only need one meeting. You don't need a full schedule because the meeting itself produces more meetings. So it's no big, there are tons of time I left my house to go do a meeting and it was the last meeting I had booked till Jesus came. And then you come home and then you get a call 10 days later. Hey, we were at your service and our, our pastor uh, told me to call you and he'd like you to come preach if you have space in your schedule. And I know it might be an inconvenience, but we really wanted to have you soon. Like, no, it's no inconvenience. It's a convenience. Does that help? Yeah, do, do, if you don't feel the pastor, don't. That can be a wreck. You know, getting into, what if T.L. Osborne never went overseas and became a youth pastor when he was 25? There's nothing wrong with being a youth pastor, but boy, the world would have missed a lot. So God's got a specific path for you. And then, unfortunately for us, God's not nervous. He's not a type A personality. If if he's going to have you do something April, uh, April 29th, there's no reason for him to tell you before the morning of April 29th. He doesn't care. He <laughs> gets no notice. So just get comfortable with that. Let me tell you one of the things, Zeph, is they're passing the mic. I had a friend when I was in Bible school. He went the opposite route. He felt called to be an evangelist. He had another evangelist give him a list of a 1,000 churches they had spoken at. And to call him and tell him that, that they recommended him. So that sounds like, when I heard that, I thought, man, that must be nice. Three out of the thousand had him in, and all three were like lousy meetings. Because they don't want, if the Lord doesn't open the door, even for me, anybody that had me in just because they knew my dad, it was like a crap. It was like, all right, if you can, just try to be like half an hour. Because they don't want me. They don't want, somebody that wants your ministry and believes in you is going to totally, it's going to totally have a different feel. You know, 
if somebody had me in because they knew my dad, it was like, well, you know, how I many you know Tiff? Well, and then I don't know that that I don't know that that ever happened once. I'm just giving an example. But then, like, if someone had me in because their children were baptized in the Holy Ghost at the youth camp I preached, how many of you know the youth camp we just sent our youth to? How many of your children will receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost at that? Well, this was the speaker there, and I wanted him to come. Then the parents are on their feet, so let, let the anointing do everything. Who's next? Um, you talked about, like, we're going to come across people who are trying to discourage you. Yes. How do you say you work at a church, and there's people there that are like that? Say you go out to lunch. How do you, and they do that. How do you no longer, I guess, go out with them? I don't want to say without offending them because people oh, do tend don't to ever get worry about of, Never worry about offending anyone. Yeah. It's unavoidable. So. And then as, you, as life goes on, learn to enjoy it. <laughs> so I guess how do you decline? I'll tell you how I feel. is if, the, if somebody felt free to be used by the devil to discourage me, I feel extra free to discourage them. That the next time, if they ever feel like discouraging someone, they'll have like PTSD from the thing that I did to them. Because Jesus sure didn't care. Don't keep saying you're going to Jerusalem. Get thee behind me, Satan, in front of all the other disciples. So you don't have to worry about how people feel. They don't care how you feel. They felt fine to try to crush your dream. Why do you have to deal with them with kid gloves? Be careful not to hurt their feelings. They're fine with crushing your feelings. And again, that's the exact opposite of the golden rule. But I, 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 Jesus did that. Jesus rebuked the fire out of people that spoke against his destiny. So did lots of other people in the Bible. See, me, me yelling at a waitress for getting my salad order wrong is way out of line. But me rebuking someone who's speaking demonic things about what I can and can't do is not... God would be up in heaven going, that's right, Jess. Tell them. Don't ever let pe people speak to you like that. You don't have to cry and get like, like, hit. you can do it. You can do it calm and strong. And then I had another question. Does that um, help you? It does. Thank you. And then my other question was, you were talking about, well, both of y'all, me and Pastor Adolis, were talking about, um, Basically, doing everything from the pulpit when it comes to correcting. Yes. Um, how do you deal with people who feel the need to disciple someone, but yet they're kind of doing it in their own opinions versus, I guess, the word? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't really give much thought to what other people are doing. I just do my thing. So I don't care. I mean, like, what could I tell you in answer to that question that would fit you? Why? There, if you, I'll tell you how to live life super free. Just get it out of your head that it's your responsibility to fix anything. I'm focused on this marriage because that's my thing, my kid Camila, and my church that the Lord entrusted to me. And that's it. And people are free to do whatever they want. If my best friend from Bible college is on Instagram sacrificing a goat to the devil, I might put an emoji thumbs up. <laughs> Knock yourself out. I don't care. It's not, you're not my responsibility. You're not my child. You're not my congregant. Even if you're my congregant, you're basically, I'm just watching over you for the Lord. And you've heard everything I preach and don't agree, so you're free to not agree. Why care? Someone's discipling someone the wrong way. Not Go for it. You know, I'll, let me give you an, a personal example. In my family, 
I had a cousin that didn't go to church at all. And um, one of my family members said, can you pray for them? They're going to a reformed church. They don't even believe in the Holy Ghost. I said, they're going to church? They said, yeah, they've been going for like two years. This is our guy. He didn't go to church. Didn't close to go to church. I said, but he's like, he like got baptized and became a Christian. Like, oh yeah, he got baptized. He's like, reads his Bible every day. I said, no, I'm not taking any time praying. Knock yourself out in the Reformed Church. Still go to heaven. You don't have to go to heaven through my ministry or even through a Pentecostal church. You'll get more out of the Bible. I'm not trying to get John MacArthur to see things my way and people who follow John MacArthur to see. I don't care. You don't like my watch? Don't wear it. You don't like my plane? Don't fly on it. I don't care. I genuinely don't care. But not, not I don't care. I don't care. I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm happy that you enjoy sacrificing goats. <laughs> enjoy yourself. I, it's not my job to fix you. If the Holy Spirit, if you've ignored him, what am I going to do better than him? Pray for them. If you see one that errs, pray for them. To restore such one. Pray for them. I don't mean like you go to hell. I'm, I'm talking, I hope you change. Having said that, I'm going to get lunch. You know what I mean? I'm not going to, I need to get this person up doing this, and I don't know why my mom won't go to church, and my dad doesn't believe in divine healing. Who cares? They don't believe in divine healing then. Go load up on medication. Get high. Let me know. And then one day, when, when that thing's not working for you, and you come back, I'll teach you. But when you're not ready to be taught, I, you can't teach people that don't want to be taught. Jesus couldn't. Does that help? Don't fix anybody. People aren't fixable in the flesh. Who's next? Whenever you go to preach, is there a certain way that you should preach to different age ranges? Mm. No, I, I don't think so. I think uh, you answer because you just preached to the elementary school. What do you say? I think the way you um, cook a thing is is the the way I cook a meal for the women is different than the way I cook a meal for the main congregants, and it's it's different when I cook it for the kids. Um, and you just kind of have to hone in, and you understand like the the audience that you're in front of. So I'm not going to go into deep theological things with children. That's that's easy to understand because they're not going to uh, captivate a, a lot of it. But I could I could bring it down to their level so that they could. Uh, it's more palatable for them. Do you know what I'm saying? Like if all of us let's like liken this to a chef. My daughter eats chicken, chick, uh, you know, um, uh, chicken tenders and French fries. She's not going to uh, enjoy. Uh, awesome sushi from you know the grade A tuna from she's not gonna like it so I'm not gonna present that to her because she doesn't really like it so you know uh, you, you have to cook it in a way where it's easily digestible for those kids but you don't dumb it down to the point where you're just you know cutting out the main things because you want to keep that um Keep the meat in there. Just make it so that it's palatable for those individuals. And so, no, you don't change. Like when I talk to, and, and Jonathan has been there when I talk to Camila um, about Bible stories. It's like I'm preaching to a crowd because I'll be in her face 
and and I'll get his attention from upstairs while he's playing Xbox because he's thinking that I'm, you know, yelling and I'm just teaching her about Matthew, the book of Matthew or whatever. So you don't really dumb it down in that sense, but you are kind of feeding them. And and that changes, I I think. For me, it changes with the audience. Um, the delivery isn't necessarily changing because I'm still in your face. I'm still funny. I'm still going after it. And we're serious-minded. It's all word. It's not fluff, you know. Uh, but I do present it differently at times. I, I think if I said it on a Dallas's children's service, I would get as much more out of it than I would most people's Sunday morning services. So I don't think you can really make it over simple. I think you can overcomplicate. Yeah. Like you listen to Billy Graham packing stadiums out. All have sinned. God loves us. God is listening when we pray. And people are like riveted. There's an old saying, if you make the gospel profound, the results will be simple. If you make the gospel simple, the results will be profound. People, and this isn't the greatest thing to have me saying on video, but uh, people are not that bright, by and large. The average American reads at a fourth grade level. They're not, you know, you're not dealing on average with, with highly intelligent people. You're de- and then you bring marijuana and LSD and stuff into the mix. People are dealing with half a deck a lot of times. So the more simple you make a message, Jesus loves you. You don't have to be sad anymore. The only thing I think, and I don't think Adonis does this. Like if you were doing a children's message, you're going to talk in a kid voice, but she doesn't. She talks like the same. She talked to that lady in traffic in Boston. She's got one voice like I've got one voice. I wouldn't really change much. Obviously, there'd be things I wouldn't deal with with, with six and seven-year-olds, like relationships, you know. But I would talk in my normal voice, and I'd tell him Jesus loves you, and he's got a plan for your life. Well, think of this. This is why I kind of disagree with what, yeah, I agree, but like when she spoke at the at the elementary school, teachers came forward to get prayer, crying. So I don't think, no, I mean, I never did. I go, I'm speaking to you. That's how I speak. If we were in my living room, it's how I would talk. It's how I talk to Camila. This is my voice. This is how I speak. This is what I believe. I can talk faith to a fourth grader or first grader or an 85-year-old. What's the difference? It's the same thing. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think you have to. I think, if anything, you mess up trying to have an adult version of you. In fact, what did I tell you when she said I package things different for the ladies' meeting than on Sunday morning? What did I tell you to do when you preach Sunday morning? Pretend you're talking to the ladies. Pretend it's a ladies' meeting that men came into. Because you're more free in a ladies' meeting, I've noticed. And on Sunday, if you feel, as a preacher, you've got to be in this Sunday morning mode. I want it. I'd be like me. I'm super relaxed in a in a in a big crowd, and I speak just like this. I don't go, brother, brothers and sisters, as we're here to. I'd cut all that out. That's why I think you'd almost be better doing what you do to the kids, to the adults, because in a kids' meeting, you don't you you lose all the religious phoniness when you talk, you don't feel like you have to do that. And for some reason, when you speak to adults, you feel like you need to be a bishopish type person, and you don't. It turns people off. the 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 percentage of church people in America is dwindling. So there's not, there used to be this big subset of people that liked church of God and Christ type preaching or church of God or somebody's God. There's not that anymore. So j- just speak to people. That's what Revival Today Church is. What would you even classify it as? The ushers had to yell at a guy for vaping during the service. You know what he said? Oh, I'm sorry. He said, I'm, I'm enjoying myself so much I forgot this is a church. 
And he like immediately, he was just having a good time and lit up. The less religious you are, the better. I'm not talking about being irreverent. I'm talking about not being stuffy and overly formal. You also don't want to be, be like, you know, which dressing up helps that. Think of this when it comes to dress. If I did the exact same stuff on Sunday, but I was wearing like um, camouflage pants and a black T-shirt and my necklace, it's too much jumping on the chair. The guy looks like he's like, in the 82nd era, but what's with this guy? But for some reason, the suit balances it out because it's like, oh, he's like a well-dressed, insane person. I'll tolerate this. You know what I mean? Who's next? Go ahead. So when you do your 21 days of like, uh, when you're... Fasting and prayer? No, no, when you're doing your 21 days of uh, what, what you did in Revival, what you did in Fort Worth, how do you prep for doing sermons twice a day for 21 days? Um, I Obviously, I would have had a different answer to this question at, at your stage of the game than, than at mine. You know, when you preach for 21 straight years, you could tell me I'm preaching. Like when this ends, somebody could say, hey, we need you. You're preaching in 10 minutes at this church. I don't need, I can come in and feel what's in the room and something will come to my spirit out of the Bible and I'll preach it. Because I, you know, it's like, how does Jerry Seinfeld prep for, I'm not saying I'm the Jerry Seinfeld of preachers. I'm just saying, if you ask Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld, how do you get ready for st- doing stand-up? He's a stand-up comic. He could do it in his sleep. I could do this in my sleep, not in a boring, methodical, holy ghostless way. But I, I'm a preacher. It's easier for me to preach than not preach. But then starting out, the Bible talks about being skillful through much use. The more you do something, I heard Jay Leno, since I'm talking about stand-up comedy, Jay Leno would still do stand-up comedy 270 nights a year while he was hosting The Tonight Show. And somebody said, why do you do that so much? He said, so I don't have to write anything down. Because you preach so much, you actually, I don't know, it's like you don't, you don't need notes because you're like, I've, I've, I know Matthew 8. I, I know Matthew 8, 1 to 17. I know, the, I know it. I know what to draw out of it. I, I don't need it on paper. I have it in me. And I... Joshua 1, possessing the land, land covenant, the scriptures for it. I know it. I've been preaching it and quoting it long enough that it's like telling a story. Like, I don't need notes to tell you about who my fifth grade teacher was and stuff. I don't need notes on that stuff. It's in me. But I'll tell you, if I take two weeks off, it it, it rusts a little. But if if you keep doing it and preach all the time, it's just fluid. So I would say the best generally prep... Listen to an hour or two of preaching every day. Kenneth Hagin, John Osteen, T.L. Osborne, um, my Uncle Ted, people that have something on them that like, there's like an unction on their preaching that stirs your spirit. That'll like, if you're tired in the morning, you put it on, it starts waking you up because it like quickens your body. Those type of preachers. Anything to add, friend? Does that help? Listen to preaching. And preachers that have a ton of word in their preaching. Bishop David Oyedepo, he's got to have 200 scriptures per sermon. Also, Maurice, the more you do it, the more it, it like it produces in and of itself. Like you think you're you're 
I remember when, when Jonathan would have me do the morning sessions after the first morning session, like I thought I've depleted everything I know about the word of God. I have nothing else to give, but then the more you do it, the more is revealed to you. It's, it's a spiritual law that the more you seek the truth and you preach the truth, the more it'll multiply in your life. That's why he's got like a river going because of the amount of times he's had to just, you know, morning sessions, evening sessions, all the time sessions, even. And that's where we talk, when we talk about going to meetings and stuff and he's writing notes, all of that has to do with it. It's, it's just renewing that, that resource within you. And the more you use it, the more it produces. It's, you know all, it's also good to talk to preachers. I don't know who the Lord will put in your life that way where you'll be able to have like phone calls with them. For me, it was my cousin Teddy coming out of Bible school and still, because I'd bounce, I, before I was going to preach something, I'd, I, we'd talk stuff out. I, I felt this when I was reading Ephesians 1, I was going to preach it. But I know so-and-so says this, what do you think? Because you can tell when you hear people preach a lot of times, they've never bounced their ideas off of anyone because what they're saying is easily debunked. Some people say prayer changes things, but it really changes us. No, it changes things. There's many scriptures on that. So I know they don't talk to anyone or someone say, hey, don't say that because it's not true. You should say prayer changes things and changes us. Um, you know, you hear somebody say, um, we, God is not interested in meeting, reach, um, giving us our desires. We should be interested in giving God his desires. No, God said, delight yourself in the Lord and I'll give you the desires of your heart. We, God is interested in fulfilling the desires of our heart, and we should be interested in fulfilling his desires. So you can tell people don't, they live in isolation because they say things that are patently untrue, that if they had any relationship with other preachers, they'd talk things out. And I noticed maybe that's something that needs to come back, and maybe not that I in any way want to facilitate it, but if maybe the Lord will use me to do that since I've recognized it, is ministers used to like write letters to each other. Kenneth Hagin wrote letters to ministers, hey, I've been listening to you preach this under the tent. You need to stop saying this. It's outside of the line of God. Some guys would listen, and some guys wouldn't listen. John G. Lake wrote letters. I remember one letter I read that he wrote to another minister. He wrote, you need to stop eating so much meat because you're, uh, you're too fat because of it, and it's going to bother your health. That's you know, quite the letter to write. But um, ministers used to have fellowship with each other, and I find almost everybody's isolated now. Nobody tells them anything... They don't tell it. They just live in isolation. And so as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. There's things you'll hear that the Spirit revealed to one of your friends that will help you. And if you're always only going by what you know and have heard yourself personally, you miss a lot of dimensions of life. I mean, I've Jesse Duplantis has told me things in a year and a half. that's like, man, I never thought of that before. Ronnie Howard Brown, same thing. My dad, my Uncle Ted. It's good to talk to people. Get to your mind... This might sound extremely ignorant, and maybe it can be easily debunked online. I don't think you can get, like, I won't say a specific disease. I don't think your mind can go if you stay around sharp people talking things out. I think when older people get in a house by themselves, is, it facilitates your mind going. When you're always having, it's like the guy that runs 84 Lumber that just passed away a handful of months ago. He was at the job site every day, lived till 99 and a half, and was... You're making yourself move. You're making yourself speak. You have to deal with people. You also will never be able to become irrelevant. It's like right now. At 43, I'm having to talk to you guys. I'm friends with my nephew, uh, Jay. And so I'm dealing with younger people. I know 
it's keeping me more in the flow of what's going on in life than if I just kind of like sat in my office up there and no one can see me and I'm just studying the Bible. You need to do more than just study the Bible. There's nothing that's a substitute for studying the Bible, but there's also other things. As iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Does that help? So God will put somebody like that in your life and that you can, you can talk things out with. Who else? Um, my question would be, so before you travel... Where are you from? First I've seen you. Um, North Carolina. Ah, good to see you. Th- glad that you're at the school. Thank you. Sorry, this is like my orientation day. Go ahead. <laughs> nice to meet you, Pastor. <laughs> um, so before you travel to a country that you don't know, do you study the culture of the people, or do you just kind of go and learn as you go? That's a very intelligent question. Um, I'll tell you what you should do. Is the church you're going to preach at, you should watch a few of their services before you go. Something I did not have the ability to do when I started the ministry, because there, YouTube wasn't even out yet. It was just coming out. No, Nobody had live stream services. So that's how... In watching their services, you'll learn the culture, like real culture, more than what you can get from a book. Because, you know, you read, yeah, I'll, I do, even not even other countries, other cities. I, I look them up on Wikipedia, find out what most people do for work, if there's one factory that employs most of the people or stuff like that. You'd be amazed how knowing a little bit about where you're at goes a long way with the crowd. Like if you... People are, you'd be amazed how dumb people are when they speak. Like, if you go to California and start talking about Giant Eagle, nobody knows what the heck you're talking about. So learn about Ralph's and say Ralph's instead of Giant Eagle. And pe- people get it and they're like, you know Ralph's? I like this guy. I'm going to become a Christian. He knows our grocery store. I'm, I'm telling you, for real, right? It's like, you'd be amazed what wins people over. Ralph's. And, and what turns people off. You know, you make... Don't ever say negative things about a place that you're at. Don't ever call a country poor. If you go to another country, don't start filming the poorest parts. Would you appreciate it? Like if you're from Pittsburgh, would you appreciate if somebody came here to preach and then filmed like a really bad Section 8 neighborhood in Homewood? It was like, this is where we're preaching. This is Pittsburgh. You're like, this is not Pittsburgh. That's one neighborhood. Why don't you go to Sewickley? That's how people feel when you go to Uganda or wherever, and you're like, look at these people who have it. Yeah, that's our port. We have hotels and stuff, too. And actually, I would say people are extra insecure in other countries because, like, America knows it's number one. So if you make a couple jokes, no big deal. In other countries, no one recognizes them. We actually have many great things here. So I would say very positive things about where you're at. You know, even if there's nothing positive, there's like, chemical plant that puts a nasty smell in the air. I'd be like, I'll tell you what, those smokestacks have colorful smoke, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd find out. But you're also going to find out that the gospel's, you know, preaching's universal, age-wise, culture-wise. I wouldn't change um, much. Like if I was preaching in Jordan right now in the Middle East, I'd, I would preach. Like I'd wear a suit and tie because I wear that anyway, and I'd preach. And, um, and it would work. So I just wanted, I'm trying to think, like, what are, what are some things culturally? Because I actually even like breaking cultural stuff. Like, Spanish Pentecostal churches are some of the most legalistic places I've ever been. I'll go extra the other direction. Pentecostal churches, 
not St. Lucia, but other places I've been in the Caribbean, they, the black Pentecostal churches in the Caribbean were super legalistic. And I'd go there. We have coming on this Sunday to preach a man full of faith and power, evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth. He's been an evangelistic ministry for... You know, it's like, I hate that. So then when he got me the mic after this long introduction, I went, he forgot to mention how handsome I am. And they all laughed, and it broke it. Because I, that religious thing, if you, if you allow yourself to come into it, it'll, it, it'll, it'll mess up your ability to have results. So it's actually, you don't want to completely acquiesce to the culture. You want to still be you and bring your uniqueness to it. But then there's things you can say where you can have an understanding of what people are going through. It's like going to northern uh, Uganda. Okay, my whole crowd are teenagers that basically a family consists of a 15-year-old girl who's in charge of her 10-year-old brother and 8-year-old sister. That's a family. So I'm going to speak that you have your whole life ahead of you and God has a wonderful future. I'm not speaking to seniors and there's, there should be no grandparent references. There's nobody there over the age of 18. So knowing stuff like that helps. But you definitely don't want to get any understanding of the culture from the pastors because they think they know the culture and they don't. People are very poor here. As you drive by a Maserati dealership. Can I know. interrupt you and just say yeah. that? I brought you here specifically to interrupt I feel as me. though nobody does a better job uh, bridging the gap between personalities and backgrounds and cultures than you. You've got like an incredible gift for that. Um, and I think the reason behind it is that you carry the anointing uh, the, of love. Because love kind of uh, supersedes love whatever and audience. Yeah. And so you could be in the hood in nice town and you could get the, the, the rough fellas out there with the, with the, you know, in the gangs or you could go into West Virginia with the rednecks. You can go to the, uh, in, in Vineland, New Jersey to all the Puerto Ricans and they love you. The Asians love you. The Africans love you. Everybody loves you. But I think the whole glue to the whole thing is the anointing that you have backed by love. You exude an anointing. And the anointing is the great equalizer. The anointing is what captivates and brings and reaches everybody in. But then your job as a minister is to show show them and do everything in love. You're not there for any other reason but because you love them. And I think that disregard like where you're at. If if love is the great motivator, everyone will. Huh? Love's universal. Yeah. If people can feel you love them, they love you. And if you make people laugh, that works anywhere in the world. And and people can feel whether you love them or whether you're just there to preach. But if they can tell you love them, and, and in order to do that, you have to love them. So you let God give, give. I think that's what people get from my dad when he's talking to them, sharing those stories. Like, wow, this guy. You know, he speaks to them like he's their all their grandfathers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that 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 place. You know, think of Revival Today Church. We should have zero black people in our church if you went by what you should do to attract black congregants. We're, we are an anti-democrat church. I'm not saying we're a Republican church, but we're definitely anti-democrat. We're, every, every position we take, I've meant, I've knocked Black Lives Matter from the pulpit a hundred times. And we're, we're almost starting to get to the point where we're not have a large black population in our church. We're starting to turn into like a black church with some white people. Why? I don't know. And then uh, Hispanic, a lot of Hispanics come. 
I haven't, what have I done to reach Hispanic people? What have I done to reach black people? Nothing. But people can tell I love them, and people can clearly tell I'm not racist. I'm not racist. There's, you pick any color, and I'll tell you somebody of that color I can't stand. I don't like people no matter what color they are. No, but, but really, if someone's an idiot, and being an idiot, I don't care what color they are. If, if you're white, if you're, a, if you're my, my, in my family and you're irritating me, I'd be happy to let you know about it. So I think people can feel that then you can actually talk about difficult things that would get another person shot in a meeting, at, especially like at a crusade. Like for me to go to Nice Town in the projects and talk, and talk as a white I had people tell me they're not going to listen to a white person. Like, you know, all these black- about homosexuality oh, with yeah. homosexuals in the crowd. In, in the crowd love, nodding and come them. to the altar. Because they can tell I, I'm not against them. I'm actually rooting for you. I want you to be saved. I'm not against these homosexuals. No, 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 no. Homosexuality. God will deliver you from it. I'm for you. I'm glad you're here. I want you to get saved. There's no these people with me. They're, they're, they're my people. That I, that I love America and I love Americans. I love all of them. And tra- the more I travel, the more I love them. I love them all. Even the ones that don't like me, I, I like them. I like people. And God will put that in your heart. And if you have that, you, you play in every culture. And if you make people laugh, that works anywhere in the world. I was listening to a comedian, and he was saying in, in his audio book, he said, it's a, I learned early on the amazing power that getting someone to laugh has over people. And he's right. I'm telling you, there's people, you make them laugh, and it's like, okay, whatever this guy is, I'm going to become it. I like him. That's, people make up their minds. That's why we're having you take that persuasion class. You think people become a Christian because you convince them about the points of the gospel? It's basically like, I like her. She's nice to me. I'll be a Christian. Why do, why do people go to the LGBT community? They found they were rejected, a lot of them, not all, but a lot. They were rejected, and then they found acceptance in the trans. Like we accept people that they say is weird here, so and we'll be nice to you. People follow the love. Where, they're, where people are kind to them, they'll go. Where people are mean to them, they flee. Next question. And there is a light at the end of the tunnel because I have that RT in, my, or, uh, the, in 10 minutes, so I won't keep you here all day, even though I really like being with you. Who's next? Right here. Oh, no, no, no. There's th- row three. Go ahead. Um, when being a PK and having a line of ministers, how do you make sure to never dilute the mantle? Hmm. You just, what I did is like listening to my dad preach and listening to other people preach. I would notice there was like a tremendous drop off anytime the guy had his son speak. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I don't want it to be like, oh, God, Jonathan speaking. When's his dad coming back or his uncle? I want to be like, whatever they have, I want to take it and increase it. So just listen to people, figure out why they suck, don't do the things that make them suck, and listen to people and realize why they're good and do the things that make them good. And you'll, you'll, you, Just having even the mentality to ask the question you ask will make sure you never dilute it. Because for you to even care about that, you won't mess it up. You know what I mean? And you won't. Because you know, and that's the thing about being in a ministry family. You know what bad preachers sound like and behave like outside of the pulpit. Don't do it. Go the other route of the people like your mother, or, or uh, your mother too, but your grandmother. I mean, just do, be, do what she does. <laughs> She's awesome. You know, and then, and then, the, and then um, God will give you things to do that will even grow past that. You know what I mean? Every generation can increase from the one before. Follow-up question? Help a little? All right, good. Who's next? 
Yes, it's me. Um, Pastor Jonathan, I just wanted to know, like, I know a lot of people, and I think I was also in the same situation of being like, you know, serving well, giving 110%, like, really just putting your all in, you know, just to be, um, uh, you know, for the ministry. How do you, because I think, like, where I was is, like, I felt stuck, like I couldn't break out into ministry because no one gave me room. And I feel like a lot of my friends are also in that situation that they feel like I'm still stuck where I've been serving wholeheartedly for like ten, five to ten years. So how do you break out and break through out of that to also, you know, pursue the call that is over your life? Well, you did it. We're not yeah, having this conversation but- <laughs> in South Africa. But I think like, I, I think, the you know, this was so supernatural that what happened to me because I was... But I feel like, like if I still speak to my friends back home, you know, they don't always have these type of opportunities that I really like. You didn't so have the, thankful for. But you didn't have the opportunity. Did I send a boat for you? No. You no. got it. You you got here. Yeah. You know, you made it happen. One thing you're going to learn in the ministry is people like to complain, but they're not willing to do what it takes to break out of it. Boom. You know. I would love to go to a church that had a move of God like yours. Then come. Well, I, they, so again, the key to, to the key to your happiness being in somebody else's pocket. I would, you know, my mother. I wish she's sick and she she says she believes in healing and she, but she doesn't really believe. And yeah, she's not interested. You can be more interested in somebody getting healed than they are. You can be more interested in somebody getting up because the truth is, you according to Scripture, you have everything in your life that you want. Because if you want it, you'd go after it and get it. I really want to be married. But you give the the girl five Christian guys and she can pick them all apart after one date and be done with all of them. So do you want to be married? To who? Michael the Archangel? (laughs) You have to marry a human being. Like, why blame anybody else? Yeah, why aren't the why, other people why here? Aren't the other How come people they're not doing in Bible it? If you don't, if you're not in ministry and not don't have the opportunity, it's not up to the pastor to find you out or to give you that opportunity. Who gave me this church? God, Who gave? That, make, I make bought all these cameras. This building was given to me by God. Nobody gave me anything as far as like in the ministry. It's not like that some, somebody had a 900 person church in Pittsburgh and put me in as pastor. Make create your own room. No one's, no one's, when people, and I don't mean you, but like when people, no one's giving me opportunity. Take opportunity. There's, the whole world is open for the taking. You could also leave that church and start your own ministry, but they don't have the balls to do that. Or, or so, they, they so may not, they, they may not be called to do that. You know, you shouldn't just start a church because you're frustrated. You know what I mean? I'm yeah, just, just I know. I, and I totally understand that. But but then but then endeavor to do that and find out that you're not called to do it. I've never understood why people need an opportunity because, like, the main goal is to win souls. So go win souls and then disciple them. You can. Who has to give you that platform? The whole world's open. Some people, the worst thing that could happen to them would be if somebody gave them an opportunity because, it. you know, um, maybe she doesn't want me saying so. I haven't heard her say it publicly, so I won't say it. But this this uh, well-known minister told me the worst mistake I ever made was going on Christian television because I had this inroad into the secular world. She she was on secular TV, and she said, I got co-opted by Christian TV, and if I had to do over again, I wouldn't have done that. The worst thing that would have been happened 
is if my dad would have made me the, the youth speaker for youth nights for his evangelistic meetings. There would be, there would not be what I am today. I'd have been a Tiff's son that plays the drums and speaks on youth night, and I'd have had that level of commitment to evangelism. Wow. Me having to like go out into nothing hmm. and use my own faith is, is what caused everything to happen. So it's like you. I don't understand. Like if your friends from South Africa were here, and I don't know who you're talking about because I, I, I barely know you, but if they were here, I said, okay, so then you, no one's giving you an opportunity. Why is she here and you're not? I didn't give you this opportunity. That's right. It's open to anybody. And she's got kids and a husband. Yeah. That was a big life change. You got here. So people pretend like they're hungry, but they're not hungry. Because if you're hungry, you make it happen. I'm hungry for a big church. I'm like, you know, the people haven't really helped me in the area. None of the pastors that are, I don't know. No one knows me anything. Make it happen. And if you don't have something in your life and you're not in the process of getting it, it's on you. I really want a car. Then get a car. I don't have the money. Get the money. Legally. <laughs> Amen? Amen? There's no, I mean, you see all these stories of people that had nothing and became great, and they did it all themselves. And a lot of them don't even have God, just in the flesh. And you're, you're baptizing the Holy Ghost and feel stuck? That's on you. Unstick. Next. All right. Um, wanted to ask, what's your best advice to increasing in signs and wonders and, and getting good at demonstrating the power of God in, well, in preaching. Fast and pray. Preach sermons along those lines that, that provoke that faith in people. And get impartation and stay under ministries that operate in those gifts. Those three things. Next. Um, whenever, I will, someone told me in the past that whenever they were preaching, they didn't really consider... Um, what people's faces look like because sometimes they're not like conscious about how they look. How do you keep yourself from being discouraged when looking at people who aren't, they don't look like they're receiving basically? I mean, I don't think you want me to answer that question. <laughs> I have like different ways of looking at things. I would think like, who are you? You're going to look at me like, what are you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're going to make me feel bad. But that's not the right answer. No. <laughs> but I'm telling you what I think. Like, you're going to stare at me. Like it is with kids. You, th- these are, this is what I'm looking at when I'm preaching on Sunday. But at the end, they're receiving something. So you're not going based on how they look. You're, you're, it's a spiritual thing. When you're, when you're preaching, whether you believe it or not, it's, it, you're imparting into the people a message. So it's seed that's being sown, whether they like it or not, it's being sown. So you don't go based on anybody's appearance. You do it and you know what I'm doing is activating something. It will activate a response. So people can come in there as hard as can be. And at the end of the service, they're like, (laughs) and just in one second from the next, like literally. This year, there was a lady on the front row looking at me like this the whole time. And after about 40 minutes, I went, lose the RBF. He sure did. Yeah. And he so. also yelled at a lady who he, she thought, he thought was being ma- like mean to him and ended up being blind or whatever. Was that? Yeah, no. the, the lady. Yes. That never happened. Yes, it did. It was the pastor's wife. 
Okay. Well, it did happen. It did happen. Yeah, but that, that was... And so that's what I'm saying. We don't go based on appearances. Because if you do, maybe she's blind. No, no. But the, the, let me tell what happened. Look at me and say it didn't happen. That, that's, that, that, I got receipts. That, that's why I told you don't ask me that question because don't do what I do in that area. T- tell him the story. So I go to this church to preach, which, you know, it would have been great if somebody would have given me a heads up. So I'm standing next to the pastor's wife, and they go, turn and greet. Uh, she doesn't greet me. I go to stand in the front row. I've never met these people. They invited me to their church, and uh, she just stays, stays looking straight ahead. So I'm like, all right, fine, don't greet me. So then they go, uh, gr- shake hands with two or three people. Tell them you're glad to see them in the service. She doesn't even look my way. So then I, I go, all right, I'll be the bigger man. I turn around, and I'm like, hello, nice to be with you at your church today. Thank you for having me. And she just stays, doesn't even put her hands, shake my hands, just looking straight ahead. I'm like, okay, I've had enough. It's like nine in the morning. You invited me to your church. You won't, you don't even greet me. Then I go to shake your hand and you won't even lift your hand to shake my hand. So then she slowly lifts her hand to shake my hand. And I go, oh, my deepest apologies for you having to lift your hand to shake my hand. I hope you'll find it in your heart to forgive me. And the pastor goes, my wife's blind. <laughs> oh. How about telling me ahead of time? So then, you, Jay was there. It, it got worse. So then Sunday night, Sunday night, I'm preaching. Yeah. And um, the, the service is hitting good. And I start flowing in the word of knowledge. But they're, they're a type of Pentecostal background where when the service starts going good, you get everybody up on the drums and the instruments start banging away. Um, when I think about Jesus, what he's done for me. But like, I, I don't flow like that at that point. So they all hop up on the stage, including the pastor's wife, who sings. They help her up. And they start singing, when I think about Jesus and what he's done for me. Right, Jay? Slamming. So like, obviously, I'm not going to rebuke the worship team at, at a church. It'll like set a bad tone for the. So I turn around and quietly just go like this to the musicians. So they all stop playing. And singing, except her, because she can't see me. So they're all singing full blast. Then everybody stops. What are you doing? What are you doing me? What are you doing? Like she's by herself. And I was like, ugh. They'd like go over and tap her. And that meeting got extended a second week. And that's how you know you have a ministry. (laughs) It's when you've done everything to sabotage it, and it still works. Unfortunately, that is a true story. I heard, um, I don't know. That's why, that's how I don't let it bother me. I just think like, who is, like if someone's staring at you mean while you're preaching, like, who are you? And I've said, I'll tell you what I've been saying to people lately. I'm not talking to somebody's just, but if somebody's like, I'll go like, uh, is this what you do? Look on the internet to see what evangelist is going to be in town and then say, hey, honey, let's get dressed up in our best clothes and fold our arms and stare at him for two hours. I have to be like, why did you come here today? You know, but that's not how to handle it. But uh, trust me, of all the alternatives that go through my mind about how to handle it, that's the best one. (laughs) And picking up the podium and winging it at the family. 
yeah, I mean, I guess that's why Paul wrote that thing to Timothy, huh? You must be patient <laughs> and be, 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 um, go easy on, on people because your tendency, especially as years go on. <laughs> I mean, my poor Pastor Dean, he worked for my grandfather and my grandfather had been retired, then came out of retirement to help this church. So he was in this mo- mode. When he, when he went to the church to get voted in, he said, you people got yourself into this mess because they were like a, a bunch of money in debt getting ready to get the church foreclosed on. You people got yourself into this, this mess. I just came to help get you out of it. So he, that's the mode he was in. So he was just like in no mood to be messed with. I was walking with him back to his office when I was 13. And somebody stopped him in the hall and said, we would like to give a, this check. They had a check for $10,000. This is in the 90s. So it'd be like a lot more today, 70000 we have this check for 10000 that we would like to give to the church. So they hand it to him. Then as he's taking it, they, they go, so that um, you could build a library and, and name it as a memorial to some relative. And when they got done talking, he nodded his head and threw the check on the ground <laughs> and kept walking while this family just stood here. <laughs> let, let me tell you one more thing. Because as you get older in the ministry, you have to fight it more because it's like, you got to make sure you don't get a bad attitude. This guy, and then this last one, that ministerial call, if anybody can hear me in the media department, just tell them to give me like six minutes, and then I'll leave. I've really enjoyed being with you. I'm glad we have tomorrow. So this guy's preaching, old evangelist, and he had like a good ministry. He's preaching at a church, four or 500 people on a weeknight, letting it rip. And then all of a sudden, he just, as he's preaching, walks out the, the side crash bar door of the sanctuary, you know, that they have on the sides for emergency exits. Never, you know, mid-sermon, just leaves while preaching. So everyone's sitting still, four minutes, five minutes, that doesn't sound like a long time, it's a long time. Ten minutes, fifteen minutes, the pastor gets up at like the twelve-minute mark and is like, listen, I know this man of God, he has a very reputable ministry, this might be an illustration or something, let's just sit and and I'm sure we're going to find out what's happening. This is before cell phones, you know, so it's like the pastor could text him. Then like 25 minutes later, he comes back in through the door, preaching right where he left off, finishes the sermon out, never mentions that he's gone. So when they go up to the parsonage after the service, the pastor goes, Brother so-and-so, I'm really confused, you know? You left for 25 minutes in the middle of the sermon and never mentioned it. Were you sick or did you, were you having stomach problems? He went, oh, there's a guy from the South. He went, ah, no. Doc, your people were sitting on me, so I went up to the parsonage and had a Pepsi and a bologna sandwich. <laughs> so that's how he dealt with people staring at him. He left and made himself a sandwich and a Pepsi. <laughs> and then you think if he ate it for 25 minutes, he wasn't even like quickly eating it, just like chilling. <laughs> that's one of the best stories. And now that's kind of funny to you now. 20 years from now, if you're preaching, and you've been preaching for 20 years, it'll be extra funny. Because I've thought of that before. When you have like a whole crowd sitting there, you'll be like, I can't imagine having the balls. <laughs> like, even me, I can't imagine just leaving and going and eating a meal and then coming back. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's insane. Like, even me. And he was like, an, he's an Assemblies of God evangelist with like a 50-year ministry that was like well-known. 
So what, I guess to answer your question, people deal with it differently. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Thank you for sharing the Jonathan Shuttlesworth podcast. If you're interested in supporting our mission to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to our generation, please visit RevivalToday.com and click on Give Now to become one of our monthly partners. Thank you in advance. We hope to see you soon.